Hello and welcome to this episode of Superhero Ethics. Today we are talking about The Karate Kid and the new TV show based in that world, Cobra Kai. This is a bit of a departure for the superhero style, but if you were a kid in the 80s, you probably thought Mr. Miyagi was a superhero. And frankly, this show raises all sorts of questions that we love. Questions about justice and redemption and what does it mean to be a bully and what does it mean to put that aside? What, how do you fight with violence versus fighting with social power? All sorts of great things, plus a whole lot of 80s nostalgia. All that and more after this commercial break we have no control over. Welcome back. I'm Matthew Westfox. I'm your host. I'm joined today by um, a frequent guest these days, Paul Hoppy. Paul, how are we doing today? I'm good. I'm excited to talk about this show, which I think I, I kind of talked you into watching. Yep. Um, it resonated with me, particularly as, as a martial artist. And I think uh, you probably maybe appreciated my recommendation more during the first season than the second season. <laughs> that uh, is true. I will, is true. I will say I recommended it before finishing the second <laughs> season, or I might have warned you. Um, but, it, you know, it, it's not like on, in Dexter territory by any yeah. means, I don't think. No, I'm still very glad you recommended it, both because I, I did find most of the show enjoyable, and I, I think we got a lot to talk about here. And so for those people who aren't quite sure what in the world we're talking about, let me fill you in a bit. Um, yeah. If you haven't seen the Karate Kid movies, or at least certainly the first one, Karate Kid, uh, it's a very 80s movie, but a great movie. It's a movie that I think really, um, in some ways, was one of the first things to really introduce martial arts culture to the generation that hadn't grown up watching uh, you know, the uh, uh, kung fu movies and stuff like that. Uh, so it was my introduction, and uh, I think a lot of that of my generation. And it's a very fun little movie, and it had a couple of sequels. And it's become, I guess, a little bit of a cult classic. To the point where what they decided to do was to take a TV show based on the villain. In that movie, you have a character named Johnny Lawrence. And Johnny is just the epitome of a 1980s bully. He's, you know, he looks basically Aryan. He's very blonde, <laughs> blue-eyed. He has all of his friends who look just like him. And they're the badass karate dudes, and they bully kids at the school. And the movie's all about, you know, learning to f- take on the bully and to fight with honor and, like, all these good things. Great story. And in most of these movies, you know, we look at that and we say, great. You know, good triumph over evil. The bully's been defeated. Everything can go on. Um, but kind of interestingly, actually, given the episode you and I did just last week when we talked about, you know, yeah. what happens after you defeat the villain, this movie says... What happens after you've been a bully? Mm-hmm. Um, and it really follows the story of Johnny Lawrence 30 years later when he is still kind of in that place of like, you know, the old washed up football star. The guy who had a lot of great things in high school, but it was all, you know, it all kind of took away and he's never figured out what to do next. But also diving into a lot more like showing the humanity of the character and showing how he was in very abusive situations with his own sensei and how did that contribute to it and the story is about him trying to put together his own uh, um, dojo, bringing back Cobra Kai, wrestling with the lessons of the past, wrestling with all these issues of can he be a better person? Can he replicate the kind of style of Cobra Kai without it leading to people being bullies? Um, and it's just a very interesting show with a lot of moral grayness, a lot of um, kind of a very Breaking Bad sort of style of, you know, there yeah. isn't any one true good or true bad. Um the second season, they kind of move away from that somewhat. But the first scene yeah. especially, I think it, it raises really great questions of redemption and forgiveness and, and what, you know, what does it mean when we look at a person and just see a bully to actually then go 
beyond that and say, well, who is this person? Um, so, yeah, that, that's kind of my rough summary. But, Paul, what, what, what made you really like this show and made you want us to think this is a good thing for us to talk about? Right. Well, so first, I think there's a uh, an important distinction to be made that I think Johnny is a rival, not a villain. I mean, he he does villainous things, right? Mm-hmm. But to me, the villain in the story is Crease, this adult yeah. who's putting horrible ideas in kids' heads and bullying them himself. Do you right? mean in the original movie? You think in the original Johnny movie wasn't a villain? Okay. Yeah, I, I can I can see the other viewpoint right and i think he and you know what i haven't actually rewatched the movie recently yeah. but there are a lot of uh clips from it and i've read some i actually watched a um a interview with uh william zabka who who portrays um johnny lawrence in, in both mm-hmm. the karate kid and cobra kai and he actually had a very different take on where Gi- johnny was after the tournament like mm-hmm. in his like headcanon or whatever as an actor interesting um that like his his view was kind of that Johnny had kind of like learned that what he'd been taught was wrong. Yeah. And um and you know sort of being defeated by Danny, but then Danny actually being kind of decent afterwards. And um and you know that Johnny didn't like if you watch the movie, Johnny didn't really want to sweep the leg. It's like he he'd basically been taught to be a bully. He was a bully, but like he didn't necessarily like have complete emotional buy-in to this whole like no mercy thing right but his teacher was like no do this and you know his teacher had basically given him something that his family had not you know Mm -hmm. which we see in the show and it makes sense and i I can see you know the the direction that the show took it was basically more like johnny was very defeated and then his life pretty much kind of sucks from there um yeah but yeah I, i i think sort of that difference between kind of um you know, a rival and a villain. I, mm-hmm. I, to, I, to me, that has something to do sort of kind of the level of responsibility yeah. of, of that character. Well, and I think so much of it also has to do with point of view. And yes. granted, I only saw Karate Kid when I was, when I was young. And so I think, mm. look, right. I remembered it as Johnny was the villain and his yes. sensei was also the villain. Right. And I think, you know, I think what this show points out, because you're right, it does use clips from the movie, that, that I think for most of the movie... Johnny is portrayed as the villain because in large part, that's how Danny sees him um, because he is the person who is harassing and bullying Danny. And so, you know, at 16, it's hard to be like, oh, this guy's punching my head into a locker. But really, he has a troubled home, too. Um, (laughs) Right, right, right. Yeah, yeah. From from Johnny's perspective, I mean, sorry, from from I almost called him Ralph from Danny's (laughs) perspective. Um, Johnny is very much the villain. And, And I think one thing that happens in the movie is exactly what you're talking about, that the audience at the same time as Danny both come to realize that Johnny is an antagonist and a rival mm-hmm. and a pretty terrible person right now, but it's because he's been raised ba- basically with his sensei as a father figure, uh, teaching him in these kind of terrible ways. Um, exactly. So, you know, I, I'd say that one reason that the, the show resonated with me so much was, uh, you know, just having, I, I practiced martial arts for, for decades. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I did, taekwondo as a kid then as a teen then extensively as an adult i haven't kept up with it so much in the last few right. years but um but well, yeah i mean and, and i think you're, yeah, you're you've been a sensei you ran your own dojo for a while or yeah, dojang yeah. well sabunim well, but um but yeah so so we'll, we'll get to that in a second but okay. yeah yeah so i i was um i'm a fifth degree black belt so for years i was in this culture where people called me master hoppy which you know feels nice i'm not gonna lie but there's there's some there's some sort of consequence of that, that this show 
I think kind of shows, you know, um, I ran a school in Times Square for a while. That school caught fire, had broken mirrors. Uh, I definitely dealt with some of the shit that the characters went through <laughs> in this show, you yeah. know. Um, you know, I mean, I had an experience where I showed mercy to an injured opponent in a tournament, and then they took advantage of it and got in shots that they wouldn't have if I, you know, hadn't hadn't been like, oh, yeah, I'll take it easy on them because they, you yeah. know, hurt their knee or whatever. Um you know, so, but more specifically, I, I practiced Taekwondo, which is a Korean martial art. And there's, you know, I have some general familiarity with Japanese martial arts, but there's, there's this sort of rivalry between Korean martial arts and Japanese ones mm. uh, that, you know, has, I think, somewhat to do with, you know, obviously a lot to do actually with the history of the two countries, the Japanese, the Japanese occupation of Korea. Uh, I, I thought it was interesting that, like in the Karate Kid, uh, you know, you, you mentioned this, like karate, I believe, was the dominant martial art in the U.S., either just before or just after, whether it was kind of riding that wave and accelerating it. Oh, yeah. Or whether, right. Um, you know, I mean, Bruce Lee had brought Kung Fu to the kind of popular attention. Right. But then the Karate Kid really kind of blew up karate, I think. Um, but when I started Taekwondo, they were actually calling it Korean karate just to kind of make marketing easier. Yeah. But by the turn of the century, there were, you know, millions of Taekwondo pra practitioners across the globe and karate had kind of waned in popularity or in, in terms of the consciousness of, um, at least like kids, right. Where, yeah. you know, people say like in this show, actually, they say like, what was that Taekwondo? And he's like, it was karate. And that kind of, I think there's a lot of things like this in the show where they sort of lampshade something, you mm -hmm. know, like name it. Uh, but then don't really deal with it going forward so much. Yeah. Yeah, no, and, and this way I, th I think your your perspective, I, I, I'm I not a martial artist by any means. Um, I've always had a very different perspective on it. Um, kind of as like the pacifist person that, that I've been until mm -hmm. pretty recently, um, I, was, I, I was always kind of very opposed to the idea of studying violence in any way. Um, right. And I think that's one of the interesting topics that the show brings up and that we'll get into. Yeah. But yeah. I think you having been, and I, I apologize. I don't know the terms. Um, no, that's fine. Yeah. You know, my understanding is that you you played a role that would be in karate called a sensei, but I guess in yes. Taekwondo is a different term. But is that same yeah. like you've been the teacher, you've you've been in the role that um, Johnny and and as the story goes on, Danny also winds up starting his own um, dojo dojo as well. Yeah. Um, and as I think, yeah, one of the other really interesting dynamics of the story is. And, and I like that in this regard, especially, especially in season one, it really plays with this idea of who the good guy or the villain is, because mm -hmm. when the show starts, Danny's kind of a dick. Like, you know, he's mm -hmm. not a terrible person, but Definitely. he's no. he, he's still the person who is like if Johnny is the high school athlete whose dreams never came true and he's living on past glory. Yeah. Danny is 100 percent, you know, su succeeding on past glory. His right. His car dealership, you know, chops the competition, you know, like it's very yeah, much yeah, the yeah. like yeah. that kind of thing. And it's but, but the point being that so a big part of the story is these two characters have always had this rivalry. Danny has always seen Johnny as like you said, I think he's now kind of back to seeing him as the villain, not just an antagonist. And so when Cobra Kai, the um, Johnny's dojo starts up again. Danny winds up feeling like he has to teach real karate. And so right. a lot of the show winds up being about this rivalry that these two adult men have and the way that they kind of let this rivalry take over to the point that they are harming their relationships, that they're getting kids involved in it and, and just all kinds of like added complexities there. Yeah. I, I really like the, you know, shades of gray 
kind of approach to the characters. I mean, I, I know I've at times talked about kind of wanting to see more stuff where it's like, there's a hero, there's a villain, and, you know, the stakes are clear. And I, I still, you know, feel that way where I'd like to see kind of more stuff where that's true mm -hmm. and um, clear, right? Mm -hmm. But it, it was never like, oh, I only want to see that. It's just like everything has kind of gone so much in the direction of like Breaking Bad to an extent or had for a while. I'm, I'm not sure if it's as true anymore, but, yeah. uh, but you know, here it, it felt like, especially in season one and definitely in parts of season two, there's this real sense of like, well, who is, you know, uh, Johnny is the protagonist, yes, right? Very much so. He's, he's the protagonist, whether he's a hero, an anti-hero, I kind of think maybe he's like an anti-villain, uh, mm -hmm. <laughs> You know, if, if like, we have those kind of four, you know, he's definitely not a villain, yeah. right? And it's, like, whether he's an anti-hero or an anti-villain, he's also definitely not a clear hero, right? And then Danny, it's, like, Danny's not an anti-hero. Maybe, maybe he's an anti-villain. I don't know. Um, I guess I mean, <laughs> these I, things kind I of... I think loose. this is a show where there's very clearly, it's not about heroes and villains. Yes. And I feel like yes, that's the true. whole point of the show is that heroes and villains are narratives we tell ourselves, and that a lot of it is about... When you tell yourself that narrative, how does that skew everything you see, you know? And then I right. think Johnny is someone who saw himself as the hero and then, you know, he had this real break at the end of the movie and has clearly been spending 30 years wanting to think he's the hero but dealing with the fact that no one in the world believes that. Right. No one else sees that right. anymore. Danny's had the exact opposite. Danny's had 30 years of, you know, he walks into a room and everyone's like, hey, there's the champ, you know? Yeah. yeah. He thinks he's the hero so much so that when the person who, and it's interesting, I think more than anything, Danny has kind of forgotten what he learned at the end of the Karate Kid movie. Oh, completely. Completely. I, yeah. I was going to say, I, I feel like one thing that the show really explores well is that it's not just that Danny has to see johnny as the villain is that mm -hmm. danny has to see johnny as the villain so that he can see himself as the hero mm -hmm. and that's i think one of the most interesting things about the show is this idea of when and i think this happens with people i think it happens with groups i think it happens with nations like if your goodness is defined by someone else's badness then you don't want that person to be redeemed you don't want to see that person's redemption you want right. them to stay and with some really good storytelling and with some like oh they miscommunicated like tropish yeah. nonsense <laughs> um there's good and bad writing in the show yes. but a constant theme is danny is starting to see johnny redeem himself but then like either because of his own bias or something like that he doesn't see it and he just sees johnny as the villain yeah it's like he's got this um sort of setting in his head which is like danny good johnny bad you know right. i'm the hero and he he kind of uses that seeing himself as the hero and and vilifying Johnny as a way to kind of justify a lot of behavior that's not so good. And he kind of holds on to that. And then there's moments where he's like, all right, all right, maybe he's, you know, maybe he's okay and I'm going to try and whatever. Yeah. And then like something, usually like something happens and then it's just like snaps like right back to like, no, Danny good, Johnny bad. Yeah. And, and I think the show does, again, when it's not inventing the bad thing for a dumb right. reason, which yeah. it does more in season two, I, mm -hmm. I think the show does this interesting thing of saying, like, it's not that Danny makes it up. Danny never frames evidence. Right. He never does any of that kind yeah, of yeah, yeah. nonsense. But it's that if Danny sees three good things, 
And then one thing that on the surface looks bad, he will always go to the surface thing, not dig deeper, but just ignore all the good stuff, you know? And I think right. that's a really – and a lot of the shows about both it, – it's about Danny doing that, but it's mostly about Johnny trying to fight his way through that. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and it, I mean, it's confirmation bias, right? It's yeah. like Danny has this preconception, and he sees evidence to the contrary, sees evidence to the contrary, sees evidence to the contrary, and he's maybe rethinking his position, and then he sees some confirming evidence, really even just superficial evidence, and he's like, no, I'm going back to my original um, you know, perception of things. And, and I think we should also, I mean, I, we're talking about Johnny in kind of heroic terms. I mean, Oh, no, he, he does some bad shit. Yeah, he starts out <laughs> the show as pretty terrible in a lot of ways. I mean, he's, Yes, yes. And he stays pretty terrible in, in some of those ways yeah. to some extent. I mean, he starts out as clearly kind of, what I would refer to as kind of like low-key racist and sexist. Like, he's, yeah. he's, he makes racist comments, he makes sexist comments. But then, like, the minute he starts seeing the good, the goodness in, like, the person of color he's met, like, he very quickly drops those biases and, and yeah. changes somewhat, which, which yeah, it's hard. It's a real I, thing. Yeah, I don't want to feel like I'm excusing him at all. I don't think it's excusable, and I think that that's – it's an important part of his character throughout. But it, he – at least he does seem it, – it feels to me very much in that sort of, like, it's the racism of someone who's been – who's grown up with people making racist comments and never yeah. really encountered – yeah. And he at least when he experiences real life that challenges his biases in those regard, he he drops the biases as well. But they're there. But I think even more so, I mean, he does what Cobra Kai Cobra Kai is the name of the dojo that um his sensei founded, Kreese, who mm-hmm. we talked about. Yeah. And the rules of it are um you know, it's basically like it, it, it's about Strike first, strike hard, no mercy. Thank you. Strike first, strike hard, no mercy. And I think that's it, it, the idea of it is you're supposed to be a badass. You're supposed to be right. the bully. You're supposed to be. There's no winning with honor. There's no. You're, it is to win, mm-hmm. and and it's a pretty shitty mindset that he does really adopt for a long time. Yes. And and then later, I think he starts to see the damage it it does, and he's remembering the damage it did to him. And a lot of the show is about him trying to wrestle with: Can you hold on to parts of that, right, and adjust it, or is all of it broken? Um, yeah, think, he, he kind of tries to headcanon it a little bit, I think. Yeah, yeah. Or to say, yeah, like, can, can parts of this be saved and salvageable? And in some ways, I think that's that's one of the most interesting parts of the story. Yeah, or like reinterpret it, basically. Like, can I take these words and have them mean something a little different and, you know, right. have it... But but yeah, and by the, by the end of season two, he's sort of like, no mercy except sometimes, yeah. maybe, you know. Well, and so let me ask you this, um, and I... I'm sort of asking you to think about other people because I know that you have okay. – you're the most independently spirited person I've ever met. So yeah. I don't think anyone really affects you in those regards. But a lot of what this show seems to be about is the idea that when you're a teenager, you know, um, like 14 yeah. to 18, but especially in like a lot, of the, a lot of the people in this movie are like 15, 16, that a sensei and a martial arts program can really have a foundational effect on who you are. And we see a lot of the characters – pretty much have like their entire ethos and, and understanding of the world shaped by their sensei and what their sensei teaches them. And now granted, most of the characters are ones who they start out without a strong ethos or they feel like the mm-hmm. ethos they have is not working for them. Yeah. But do you think, I wonder like from your own experience, how real do you think that is in terms of the ability of that, that sensei student relationship or the master student relationship to really like change a person's, that demeanor in those kind of ways like enormously real 
Mm. Um, to the point where, you know, I probably, you know, the most independent spirited person that uh, you, you say, you know, I felt some degree of that myself, mm. you know, okay. um, and almost like to the exclusion of having felt that like anywhere else, you know, there is, there is a sort of, um, mentality and culture of like, cause when you're training, all right. So, so it, it comes down a little bit to just like some sort of basic ideas about learning, right? right. Where like when you're learning, questioning things can be good, right? You want to have questions and you want to sort of, dig deeper right but there is this uh this sort of martial arts mentality you know and miyagi does this mm -hmm. too like really a lot right yeah. um of this like don't ask questions just do exactly what i say and it'll all make sense to you later right and when the teacher really deeply has the student's best interests at heart then that can be actually very um, effective, right? Right, I would say, because it's like, basically, look, just do these things. It's kind of like a parent being like, just brush your teeth in the morning, brush your teeth at night, trust me. Like, because a kid doesn't really know, like, you right. know, about cavities and all this, right? Why do I have it's to eat like, these vegetables? The fried stuff tastes better. Right, exactly. Vegetables are delicious, by the way. <laughs> but you can fry vegetables, too. Yeah. Anyway, um, <laughs> But, but yeah, exactly. And, and, you know, the point being like a white belt just isn't going to really understand why certain things are going to lead to being an effective martial artist, right? To actually learning effectively, either how to defend yourself or how to get everything out of martial arts that we, we try to get out of it or we try to provide with it, which is a lot more than self-defense, right? Right. Um, you know, a lot of it is to help build self-esteem, build self-confidence. Some of this can be physical confidence from just physically feeling better, endorphins, like, you know, getting in better shape. But some of it can also just be from learning a skill and being like, I have accomplished something, right? And there's this whole belt system, which they really jack up in the show and in the movie, but whatever. Um, but, you know, there's this like, sort of getting some esteem out of it. Mm -hmm. And I think the I think there's a lot of value to that and the show actually effectively portrays some of that value. Yeah. Right? And I, I love that. But then it also portrays some of the risks of that, especially if you have a character maybe like Eli, right? Mm -hmm. AKA Hawk, who comes into it without a strong sense of self, you know, with yeah. without without like any esteem. And so he built all of his esteem through Cobra Kai and then when someone's like, oh, Cobra Kai's bad or they're teaching you bad things or like maybe this aspect of it's bad. It's like he's internalized that so much. He's built so much of his sense around that. Yeah. Um, and people do that in the real world. Now, not always people who already ha who don't have this strong sense of self. But, you know, I, I definitely see that for better and for worse, yeah. basically. And I think especially with the character of Eli Hawk, one of the essential things here is that he's a kid who has uh... – it's not a cleft lip, but it's a scar from a surgery for a cleft lip. So he has right. a, you know, and teenagers being terrible, he's getting teased yeah. mercilessly about this. Mm -hmm. And karate is what uh, the Cobra Kai dojang, uh, dojo specifically yeah. is where he learns to overcome that because he basically like, and, and it's in this very sort of tough love Cobra Kai mentality, which I think is very debatable where basically um, 
uh, Johnny starts out really bullying the kid about it, but but also yeah. kind of saying like, change the story. Don't yeah. don't let this happen. And the kid runs out in tears. And in that moment, you're like, Johnny, you're an asshole. What did you just do? Right. Yeah. And then two days later, the kid comes back with a mohawk and has yeah. like really like, you know, if they're going to look at my face, they're going to look at my face and they're going to see that I'm claiming it. And right. on the, I'm still like, I don't think what Johnny did was the right way to do it, but it worked. Um, exactly. And like, I know I have done similar things with, with my, my own disability in terms of my prosthetic leg and, and finding other ways to claim the story. Mm-hmm. But yeah, then this is a story for a lot of the kids, but I think Eli Hawk, he names himself Hawk now. Yeah, yeah. And he becomes, I think, the best example of it. Um, and But someone I think Danny is this too. It's the story of if you've been a bully and so you think of yourself as a victim and now you get the power to fight back. Yeah. It is very difficult to get enough power to fight back and then stop. Mm-hmm. And I think what, what Eli Hawk definitely does is he starts to now see, as you said, like anyone who critiques Cobra Kai is, you know, challenging his sense of – he sees all of those as threats to him. All of those are attacks right. to him, but he becomes the biggest bully in the school because of it. Yes, um, exactly. And, I mean, that happens, like, in, in – with nations and wars, right? Oh, yeah. Like, all the time and um, in different cultures and, you know, some – Someone has a lot of power, and then someone doesn't have any power, and then the people without power somehow get in a situation where then they have power, and then either, you know, they um, don't abuse that, or they do, and it's, it can be, it's a powerful difference. And, you know, maybe that's one of the reasons that, that people who have been the oppressor, you know, groups that have been the oppressor for so long, have some not entirely irrational fear yeah. of not being the oppressor, right? Because it's like, if you've been bullying someone or a group of people for so long, then it's like, well, what happens if I'm not the bully? Like, I just have to trust them to not be who I was. And, um, you know, I'm not saying that by no means am I saying that they're correct to not, um, you know, um, not want equality or not want, you know, a, a more level playing field. But I, I think that the fear isn't entirely ungrounded. It's just something... There's a lot of fears that are super rational, right? right. But we have to... Like, fear of fire, totally rational. Fear <laughs> of falling, totally rational. But it's like, that doesn't mean we can't climb up on something. It doesn't mean, you know, we can't cook. It just means we have to, you know... I mean, cooking maybe isn't always right. the type of fear of fire. <laughs> this is, this is a long right metaphorical We're going on All right, hold on, hold on, hold on. I'm, it's coming back to the station. It's coming back to the station. <laughs> okay. Uh, Land the plane, Pastor Hoppy. Land the plane. Yeah. yeah. (laughs) Mix the metaphors in a cement mixer. I I thought of your cement mixer of metaphors, by the way, when uh, when they did that. Land the plane. (laughs) Stop it with the plane. Enough with the plane. The point being. Yeah. Now, see, now it's now it's gone. (laughs) The train's just it's just gone off the tracks. It's gone. It's lost. Uh, Here we are. The the point being, like, it's. Courage isn't an absence of fear, right? It's overcoming fear. Yeah. And I think, I think you know, like, Hawk basically is like, no, this is who I am now. I'm, I'm owning my story. Like, I'm flipping the script. And Johnny's like, yeah, you know? And, and he basically is like, you're Hawk now. Yeah. And I, I thought that was awesome. The way that they got to that point was Johnny being an asshole and really, I don't think, taking the best tack. Yeah. Right. 
but that doesn't mean that like sometimes bad methods yield good results and sometimes good methods yield bad results. Right. And in that case, I think a bad method that had one grain of something really valuable to say, which was flip the script, right? right. Own who you are. And he did, and that works out. But then he, you know, then he becomes the, the bully. Right. Which is like, well, that's, that's not cool, man. And I just want to make two points in that. One, it's kind of the whole thing you went on about oppression and stuff like that, which is a really good point you were making. I think part of it is I hear what you're saying in terms of the fear being somewhat grounded. I think I think and I, I think this is what you were saying. Like that doesn't mean that it's okay. It's a kind of like yeah, people are afraid of losing the power they have as white people, yeah. as men, as whatever right. it is. That that doesn't I make it okay, it's but it's it's where okay. the fear comes from. Yes, and it's why those fears are so easy to play upon by demagogues. Is I think a exactly. big part of the point. And exactly. I think the other thing though is that it's the idea of perceiving yourself as a victim. And I think. Mm-hmm. Right. One of the things that we see in our own world right now is that there's such an ability to – like Hawk is someone who did grow up seeing himself as a victim for very good reasons. Yeah, he didn't make that up. And he's never – like he, they've a lot of the bullies in this have never been able to let go of that sense of being a victim. Right. There's another thing yeah. I think though of – that often happens and it happens – there's some of this in the show but I think it's also just a related point of people who've always had power because they're oppressors. Now being asked not to be the victim, but to just, you know, live as equals. Like, don't yeah. be the high school bully, just right. be as an equal. But that yeah. feels like victimization because it is knocking you down a few rungs. And I think that's right. a thing that everyone in the show, you know, Danny feels like a victim because he doesn't get to be the hero anymore. Yeah, Johnny yeah. gets to, feels like the victim because no one understands him and no one sees that he's trying his best, even though he's fucking everything up. Mm-hmm. Um, you know all the kids in some ways feel like a victim one way or the other. Right. And it's like they, a lot of them have worked hard to get into the position of being able to be the oppressor. Right. Basically. Right. Like they did that through training. It wasn't some like inherited advantage. It's like they actually worked to get to that position, but like the right thing to do or like a good thing to do would be like, okay, I'm in this position where now I have the physical power, right? right. I have the social power. So, now we're just going to get along. We're yeah. just, things are going to be okay. And you can't get out of line because I have this power, but that doesn't mean that I'm going to keep you down. By out of line, I mean like, you're not going to pick on me. You're not going to bully me. You're not going to bully them either. Right. You know, and, but instead they're like, no, I'm going to bully you. And it's like, okay, well, right. that's. Well, and it, it becomes, we, we talked before about the idea that everyone's the hero in their own story. Right. And I think that's one of the things is, it's very hard to be self-reflective enough that you can see the moment between I'm just protecting the good people from the bad people. And that whole idea is mm-hmm. nonsense anyway, to right. I am being a bully, you know? Yes. And I think that's, I think it's one of the best things about the show is the way it shows that like so many people in the school, like so many of the characters become bullies without realizing it. Mm-hmm. And in some ways that's even the meta thing because in the original movie, you know, Johnny Lawrence is the most cardboard cutout 1980s mustache twirly if he was old enough to grow a mustache, you know, <laughs> villain you could ever imagine, bully you could ever imagine. But what the show does so well is to show that even he didn't think he was a bully. Um, right, exactly. He thought he was a victim. He thought that first he was a victim because his stepdad, the stepdad was an asshole. Right. Then he felt like he was a victim because he felt like Danny came to his town and like took his shit, basically. Yeah. Yeah, because he used to be the he like it's really interesting seeing him tell the story of the stuff we yeah. saw. And he has mm-hmm. 
And some of it is clearly like he's just misremembering facts, which right. p- people do. And some yeah. of it's giving a different spin on things. But, you know, he sees exactly. it as like, this guy took my girl, um, right. not realizing he was being a jerk to the girl. Exactly. Um, in one of my absolute favorite moments of the entire show, and this does come in season two. Season two has some really good moments. It just has some problems. And we're going to focus today mostly on the ethics stuff. But for those of you who have seen the show... We're going to spend about 20 minutes at the end of this just ranting about the show because it was a lot of feelings <laughs> we had. Um, but in the second se- – there's, there's a moment when um, basically Johnny finds out that one of his childhood friends is dying. And yeah. in one of the they – somehow, they somehow managed to find so many of the original cast members mm-hmm. because yeah. here they literally get the group together. Like there's three basic goons who have like one or two lines each but became little cult figures in their own way. They get right. all those actors back and they basically show like those guys getting together because one of their friends, one of them is dying. Yeah. And you see them remembering and in their memories, like they weren't bullies. They were this group of friends who got to wear badass motorcycle jackets and score with girls. And, and I mean, I'm obviously there's a misogynistic aspect to it that they don't see there. Yeah. Um, and I think one of the most interesting parts of that scene is that all of them are able to fondly remember those times while also saying yeah we were kind of shitty people because of crease right. um and that johnny is the one who still fully, fully doesn't see that but it to me like to be able to humanize those people like not even the main right. antagonist but just his like yeah. sidekicks i was like yeah yeah wow you're going deep on this theme and i love it yeah yeah that was that was definitely one of my um favorite parts of of season two was mm-hmm. was that aspect um Kind of seeing seeing all those characters be characters, yeah. as opposed to being like cardboard cutouts. Um, I I will say that uh, twirling. I, I feel. Do you see like blonde mustache twirlers? I think you need like a like a darker. Mustache. Yeah, I mean the blonde like, hair. It's, it's often wispy and like you don't really get that thick yeah. full mustache unless it's like yeah. a, a kind of I, a Thor. I think has kind of a blondish, you know, dirty blonde okay. thing that happen. But okay. you can't do it with the Aryan. Um, I would like to, I would like to see a uh, mustache twirling Thor. Yeah, I think that would be. <laughs> You know, playing opposite Matt Damon's Loki. Yeah, exactly. Um, I'll say just what this isn't really an ethical thing at all, but just it's one. Just there's a lot of Easter eggs in this. There's a lot of callbacks to the original show, yes. some of yeah. which really feel earned, some of which feel a little bit silly. Uh, they use some of the original music in appropriate moments, uh, mm-hmm. but um, one of the gang, like I hadn't even realized this, but because I'm I was not a uh, I was not really one of those who like was a huge Karate Kid fan, but pe- clearly are. One of the actors of that gang, like, the only thing his character said that was memorable, but it's become very memorable, is put him in a body bag. Like, that's the line the character had. And when I Googled the actor, oh, yeah. like, it said, like, this is the actor who's, who's famous because he said, put him in a body bag. Do people, like, walk up to him on the street and, like, say it. Say put him in a body bag. I, I think what happened, well, um, uh, A, the character, the anyway. actor himself has passed away. And yeah. he was oh. play- He was the one who was sick, and I think, I think oh, he played okay. that one who was sick in part because the actor himself was sick. Yeah. But the last shot is the- them zipping up is the body them- bag. Oh wow! On yeah. the-, the character being dead, and I was like, that has to be an intentional callback. Um, yeah. And for it's sure. dark wow, as hell, that's... but but so good. <laughs> Such a fucking fucking dark Easter egg. <laughs> yeah. Like sad. Like holy shit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Wow. Um, yeah. He he like looks like. Like legit sick, yeah. Like to me, you know. I mean, he, he uh, yeah. He passed away in 2019, so I, I think he probably was wow. quite sick when the, when it was shot. Um, yeah, which is you know kind of a, a sad but but beautiful thing if I could make that work. Um, yeah, for sure. 
but yeah, so so let's talk about some of the other things that the the it brings up. Um, and let's just talk about this idea of, of the violence and fighting back physically, because I think mm-hmm. you know here you and I have very different opinions, and my opinion has shifted a lot more towards yours. But in a lot of ways, this show, I think one reading of this show on the surface level could be exactly what I always feared for a long time. And and I right. I've talked to this before. My fears were very Star Star Wars influenced. It's this idea mm-hmm. of you know, once you start to hate your enemy, once you start to give in to your anger against oppression, your hate against oppression, and to use violence against them, that you you become them. You know, that, that fighting the bully be- makes you the bully. Um, right. I, I've since then obviously really adjusted in that and understood that that's, that's a really good way to keep people oppressed by telling them they can yeah. never fight back against oppression. Yeah. But, but I still do think that, 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 that there's always a, a, a danger there of become you know that i think it is very real that you can become the bully um what what's your and and that for me it always physical violence always seemed to me like like throwing a punch was by far the worst i've changed a lot on that but i'm but it's clearly an issue the the show really wrestles with what what's your take on its approach to this idea of like what does it mean to to fight back for justice and and the, the role that physical violence plays in that i think the show does a good job in showing how learning to fight can help you sort of champion a just cause. Yeah. Right? Like defending a kid against a bunch of other kids. And at the same time, how that can go awry, right? Mm -hmm. Particularly if that, you know, art of self-defense is not taught like as an art is not taught with it, you know, depending on sort of the, the ethics that it's taught with. And that's, that's, you know, the word dough, right. Means, means the way, right. Um, or the art. And it, I mean, it, it, it kind of has this sort of large meaning, right. Where, you know, like Taekwondo, mm-hmm. dough means like the way of the, the fist and foot. Right. right. And Kendo is the way of the, the no, it, uh, that's not way it, of the sort. Which, yeah. Yeah. Yes. Oh, Kendo is um, a weird sword. Okay. Yeah. Right. Um, judo is the way of flipping people. No. Um, <laughs> but but like you know the the word judo compared to jujitsu, right? It's the way compared to the skill. And karate do is also a way of expressing that. Um, and that's why you know um, uh, Danny calls his his dojo Miyagi Do. Right. right, it's the way of Miyagi, and but the way is supposed to be more than just this, like, you know, just oh, it's sort of the way of doing things. It's like this broader, like, way, the path, the the whole approach. Right, it's beyond just technique. It's beyond just here is how you put your foot in their face. It's also like, do you put your foot in their face? Why do you? If you do, and so there's a, a certain amount of philosophy that I think is meant to be taught along with martial arts. And that's what separates martial arts from a system of fighting, yeah. right? And I'd say Cobra Kai, it's not Cobra Kai Do. It's just Cobra Kai, yeah. right? And they, they do teach a philosophy. Yeah. And so, you know, okay, we, we could call it a Do, you know? Um, you know, it's... I, both of their the styles are kind of based somewhat, I think, on real-world styles where, uh, if, if I'm not mistaken, I think Cobra Kai is a little more 
Kyokushin, or it looks a lot like Shotokan to me, which is more kind of hard style, mm -hmm. more uh, full contact kind of style, particularly Kyokushin. Um, whereas the Miyagi style is, you know, he talks specifically about, um, I think he's from Okinawa, right? It's an Okinawan yeah. style, which uh, Goju-ru is a style. It's this more circular, more soft style where there's a lot of, you know, you're attacking me, okay, I'm going to soft block, right. right? I'm going to deflect your attack. And then there's still strikes, but, you know, the idea of the two schools are very, you know, the ones strike first, strike hard, no mercy, and the other one's like, don't use this except for defense. Right. So unless someone's attacking you, you are not going to attack them. You're never going to just attack someone. Yeah. And so, you know, I do personally believe, yeah, if someone attacks me, I'm going to defend myself. The level of force I use is going to be determined by the level of force they're using, the level of threat that they pose. Right. Right. And so I think when you, in an effort to defend yourself, are using a grossly disproportionate force, or if you're like, well, they attacked me once and I'm just going to attack, 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 I think that's bad. I would like to not have much of that in the world. Yeah. Um, I do think that there is a sort of a higher level of equality that can be gained by, you know, some, some styles are, are, are based more on brute force. You know, there's other styles like Wing Chun, which I, I haven't practiced, but, um, you know, are, are built more around giving a smaller person the ability to defend themselves against larger people. Mm, right. Yeah. And I think that's a very valuable thing. And I think, you know, if more smaller people had that, then larger people wouldn't really have the capacity to bully to the same extent. Right. Uh, so, you know, there's an idea of like, you know, our, is what we're trying to do kind of lift up the floor where everybody, or at least more people can defend themselves against physical bullying, you know, physical attacks, or is what we're doing to try to raise the ceiling where the people who are already capable of being the biggest bullies can just be more bullies, right? right? And I, I feel like that's sort of the difference between what Cobra Kai is trying to do and what Miyagi do, you know, what Miyagi was trying to do originally. Yeah. No, I think it's, I mean, I think, I think in the, in the original conception of Cobra Kai and what Johnny holds to for a lot of the, I think a lot of the first season, I think by the second season he's letting this go. He just doesn't really know how. Yeah. He, like for most of it, he doesn't think that a bully is a bad thing. You know, he thinks that, right. that a bully is just kind of like, I mean, it's an alpha, like, and like being an alpha is a good thing yeah, the, in his mind. That's how he sees the world. I, I, it's funny. Yeah. I'm trying hard not to lean into this, but the more I think of it, the more I think original Cobra Kai and Miyagi Do is kind of Jedi and Sith with some of the problems of both of them. You know? Okay. Um, yeah. With with the Jedi, you know, we've talked about how there's often this like, you know, you never show emotion. You never, you always defend. Right. But when you tell yourself you always defend the line about what constitutes a threat that has to be defended of can get, you know, that, that circle can get bigger sure. and bigger and bigger and bigger. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's exactly what Danny does. Danny is, you know, I will only use my powers for defense, but instead of it being like the moment Cobra Kai attacks, I'll fight back. It gets to be the existence of Cobra Kai is an attack. And so I have right. to defend, which is yeah. totally not what it is. And, and the Sith are very much like, you know, yeah, power and, and you lead because you took power and that's kind of Cobra Kai. Mm -hmm. um, I don't think in any way this was influenced by Star Wars. I just think Star no. Wars was taking – Star Wars is the metaphor well, – I mean it was of the time, yeah. you know. Well, I it's mean, also Star Wars original. is a metaphor that I use for just an right. ancient 
like a very ancient understanding of the world between like defense and attack and things like that. Right. Um, but no, but getting to, I think the point you're making, I, I think that's one of the really interesting things is, is that, you know, how do you help the victims have enough power to fight back? But, but yeah, but it's a kind of like, how do you, how do you find that perfect balance, you know, so that it's right. not give them so much power. And I mean, it was like, it's not about I, how much power you have. It's about how much, how much do you temper that with a sense of, Here's when to use the power. Here's why to use the power. Because I think clearly Johnny does not do enough of that, especially early on, to the point where um, – and just to summarize the plot a little more, um, for those who haven't seen it and want to understand what we're talking about, one of the things that happens is that season one ends, ends with a tournament. And in the tournament, uh, his students wind up fighting somewhat dirty. I – this is one of those, like, the show is telling us, not showing us. I don't really feel like they did yeah. anything that dirty, but we're supposed to think they did. Wait, what? In season one? Yeah, at the end of the tournament. He literally hit him in the back. Oh, yeah, no, no. That, while they weren't even fighting. That mo- I, more <laughs> meant, I more meant Miguel, but yes, no. Hawk, oh. Hawk definitely does yeah. that. You're right there. Yeah, hitting him in, in his injured shoulder, it seems kind of like good strategy to me. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, the whole tournament, the way the tournament's set up, like, usually these kind of karate tournaments are... It's like first to three points, and they're non-contact right. in theory. Um, I've never fought in one that was non-contact. Like, it was, you know, nominally non-contact. But you actually don't get a point if you hit them too hard. Right. Um, I, I might have gotten a warning for that. Yeah. But uh... <laughs> yeah, clear, Clearly the tournament, like, they don't have them wearing headgear because they want you to see their faces. You know, I mean, there's a lot in this tournament right. that doesn't. But, but Yeah, although in that type of tournament... You're generally not supposed to wear headgear, but you're also not supposed to strike the face. You, like, throw things and show control. So I feel like the show kind of dropped it a little bit in terms of, like, they didn't really, like, get into, yeah. I don't know, the sort of authentic, like, what's really going on in a tournament like this. It feels like Miguel didn't really do anything that was clearly outside the bounds of the rules. Yeah. I, I, I definitely agree with that. And I think that that's one of those times where I think there's a number of times where the show tells us that people are doing the wrong thing or that they're doing the right thing instead of showing it. And that's a frustration. But either way, I think that's clearly the moment where it's supposed to be that Johnny realizes maybe he's amping these kids up too much, you know, that he is going in that direction. And then I think a lot of season two is about him trying to dial that back. And we can get into a lot of debates about, you know, how responsibly, because the end of season two is this huge fight among the kids that's, we have a lot of issues with it, but, but basically <laughs> we'll get to that um, one kid winds up being horribly injured in part because the Cobra Kai kids are just like, fight, 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 fight. Um, and, and there's a whole, what was very gray turned more black and white. And that's kind of a problem. But the point being, I feel like Johnny has realized that he's amped these kids up too much, but he doesn't know how to dial that back because right. he doesn't want to, un- he doesn't want to say it's all wrong. Cause that means also saying he's wrong, you know? And I feel like, one of the things that he's really going through that I think is such a human struggle is when you realize that you've been taught a way of life that is fundamentally flawed in some ways, or well, that's actually even the better question is when you've been, when you realize the way you've been taught to live your life has major problems, you have to wrestle with, was it fundamentally flawed? And now everything about me has to change or was it fundamentally good with some problems at the edges and I can trim the edges. And I think that's one of the things that Johnny's really wrestling with is can can you have a Cobra Kai, you know, I, I think he says at one point, like, can you fight with no mercy but with honor? 
Um, and and it's a very interesting thing, like him trying to to find this razor edge. Yeah, it's um, it's like when you have a school motto like that, how do you not? How do you change your outlook? Yeah. Right. That and that that's to me that's kind of the problem with um, with organizations in general mm-hmm. is that you end up getting this like you get this situation where you try to you build up this big structure, right? You build an organization, you build a system based on certain principles, and if those principles are too specific. Or, like, if they're misguided or malicious, then if you get to the point where you're like, well, if you if your understanding of the world changes, basically, right, in such a way that you're thinking, maybe this is wrong, you know, maybe I need to do um, something a little differently, maybe no mercy is like, maybe that's bad, maybe strike first, strike hard is good, but, like, with the caveat, like, only if a fight is clear, like maybe that's bad too. But like now you say as the teacher say, okay, you know, you've created this system. You're like, okay, now we're going to change it. But you've basically indoctrinated all these people into this way of thinking. Right. And now it's like, well, how can you change it? And it's, I'll, I'll have a very brief personal aside here where, you know, my teacher, I'd say my, my, my Taekwondo teacher, um, Sukjun Kim was a he was a grandmaster. He was taught by the founder of Taekwondo, of traditional Taekwondo. And he had this very, you know, very kind of Cobra Kai-ish way of kind of um, looking at fighting anyway. Right. right? Um, that's not to say that his entire worldview was, was that way. But, you know, the way he taught was... It, was some of this kind of, you know, sort of bullying, like just hard, yeah. right? And like, and he says, do this. You say, yes, sir, you do it. You do it as hard as you can. And at the end of the day, at the end of the week, at the end of the year, like you're better at doing martial arts because of it, right? Right. Um, and, you know, there was still a school motto and everything that um, th- there's still some philosophy attached and, and, not an absence of, you know, talking about kind of, um, you know, way of life. Uh Like that was, that was sort of a big thing. But over the years, basically, mostly I'd say in the time frame in which I studied with him, he went from being this very just like hard on everybody to being like, okay, you know, so, you know, this person is going to find this or that more difficult. Like sort of to like reevaluating, like what's the mission of te- like, why are we teaching this? Yeah. Right. Are we teaching it so people can become the most badass fighters they possibly can? Like when he taught it that way, he made world champions. Right. You know. But then when he stopped teaching it that way, you know, maybe he gave more to people um, than than just like the ability to like fight really really well. Yeah. And and that's that's sort of an evolution that an individual can go through and. It can be hard for the students to kind of be like, oh, but we were kind of over here. And then some people are like, well, back in my day, you know, right. and by some people, I mean, probably myself a little bit. <laughs> but like, you know, we used to have to do two boards with a front tardy kick uh, for our, uh, our, our red bow. And yeah. I might have broken my foot, but whatever. <laughs> yeah. Then I just kicked with the other foot. 
like tape it up and get back in there, you know? And you see that um, all the time, you know, like the, well, I yeah. had to work 36 hour shifts as an, as an intern to be a doctor. Right. Like, why don't you? Um, right. And it's, it's like, but can we maybe make a better world? But like when we have all these systems we've built up, it's really hard to like change the things at the core of those systems yeah. because there's already all these people. It's like, we can't just, we're, I mean, what are we going to just hard reboot? And just be like, all right, I'm going to open up a new school. Maybe that's season three. I don't know. But like, yeah. I think part of what you're really also getting at is the danger of having a very nuanced, complicated idea that also can be reduced to bullet points. Because right. I think I, mean, I think this is like a big problem in our world in general is like, especially yeah. in the day of Twitter and all that, where, where nuance is much harder to find. We're much more, you know, we're much more big. We, we, we put much more attention into, you know, the, the the headline and the tweet and whatever it can be the bullet point like you know um uh you know no mercy whatever it is and I feel like um for me as someone who comes from organized religion I feel like I see this all the time both because I'm within that world but also one of my degrees is in sociology of religion and one thing that gets taught all the time is that again and again and again through history these figures would come up, and I, I know it most in Christianity and in Judaism, but it happens in almost every religion, I'll, I'll say almost, where a person comes along with like these very complex, nuanced thoughts, and then within two or three generations, those thoughts have been reduced to the bullet points that often are right. the exact opposite. And I think one of the most interesting parts of the show is, what is the responsibility of teaching people? Especially because, um, and I say this as someone for whom this was very true myself at that time, if there is any group that is least likely to look past the bullet points and find the nuance, it's teenagers who feel like victims um, or really <laughs> any kind of teenagers in general, right. you know? And I, sure. there's a part of me that wonders like, what's the responsibility of teaching kids these like bullet point values that can be read in really destructive ways and then trusting though that they're going to, that, that you're going to get them to the nuance. Um, and I think that's part of the thing is that Johnny at first doesn't know the nuance either. And he's kind of trying to learn with yeah. them. Yeah. And so my favorite parts. Of the it's sh- a real problem. <laughs> yeah. And so my favorite parts of the show are when they're teaching him in some ways. Um, mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. But yeah. I feel like Miguel makes him a better person. Yes. Very much. Yeah, so. Miguel is kind sure. of his first student. And he's the one who he said who he starts out by making some kind of uh, racist comments to. But then really starts to see is like, um, you know, all that that falls away as he gets to know Miguel. Which, again, yeah. that. I don't want to say that's redeeming the racist at all. That's a very problematic kind of a, a storyline, but it's also a very real one. Um, it is. It is. Yeah. I mean, like, there are a lot of people who have very bigoted worldviews, but when it comes to an individual person, once they get to know that person, they're they're not going to maintain those views specific to that person, yet somehow they can still maintain them worldwide. I mean, like, my uncle was like that, yeah. and it, it's... I, that that's a different episode. Yeah, but I I appreciate that this show manages to take a person like that and have that be an aspect of their character to have them not just be a horrible like straight up villain the right. whole time, but to have that sort of still be an issue that like I don't know maybe maybe by the end of the show the character does grow from point A to point B and. I think there's one clear way in which he does grow. Um, and I, I, I think that around these issues, because I think you're right. There are definitely people who do the, oh, well, you know, most people are like, uh, most black people are this way, but you're not. You're one of the good ones. Right. Like that kind of racist yeah. stuff. 
Yeah, um, yeah. And I, I don't think Johnny does that, though, because – and I, I see this actually more with his sexism than his racism, but I think it's applicable to yeah. both. The first time a woman joins the, the dojo, he's like, yeah. no, t- Cobra Kai is just for boys. Right. And it's because he thinks women can't do his style. Right. When the, the student, the, the woman, the girl student who wants to show him that, that she can shows that she can, he's very quickly like, oh, okay, cool. And then right. the next like, time a girl joins the dojo, he doesn't give her any shit at all. He's very much right. like, cool, you're welcome. And right. to me, that's at least him not it, – it's not that he does the, you're a girl, but I'm going to keep my preconceptions about girls. He's just like, oh, okay, I was wrong about that. Cool, girls are welcome. Yeah, yeah, which is which is great. It's like that's how we make progress, right? Like people have a view that someone can't do something, and then someone proves them wrong, or just have whatever preconception, right? And then it's like, oh, I was wrong. Okay, now I think this other thing because it was demonstrated to me that I was wrong. Yeah, and that's like how we grow. Yeah. Um, and I will say that, like in in my experience in martial arts, it you know. It was like a, there were as many women as men, right? Um, and I don't know if that's—I'm sure that's not universal, but I—I I think it's pretty common. Like in kids' classes, you know, you have a mix of genders, and yeah, um, I—I th- I think that that's certainly my understanding. Um, and there are some other great ways in which the show um, really kind of plays with uh, how much the world has changed from the 1980s to yeah. now. Um, yeah. In some ways that I love. Um, I wanted to go back to something else you were saying because um, I think it's another interesting point here uh, and something the show makes a good point about because you're talking about like what is the goal of a sensei and in terms of mm-hmm. it like a while back you said like the sensei should have the best interest of the students at heart and right. often when we talk about um, like in high school athletics one thing that gets talked about a lot is that often the coach can become especially in football but in a lot of high school sports the coach can become uh, a real father or mother figure, but especially when it's men, a father figure, and can really like impart values and impart a lot of ways of looking at the world in really prob- in, in sometimes very, very good and sometimes problematic ways. Right. And that with football, the football coach is very clearly there to win. Like, shape them into better people is a good part of it, but like, mm-hmm. if you go 0 and 12 and make really good people, you're going to get fired. Um, right. A dojo, at least as I understand it, a sensei, and please tell, please give me your perspective on this. Go ahead, go ahead. It seems like there's a real tension because on the one hand, you're not just learning martial arts to be able to compete. You're learning martial arts to develop yourself and to be able to protect yourself from bullies and to be able to carry yourself better in the world and to learn these values. But then they do also compete. And right. it certainly seems like a big part of what happens, especially for Johnny and even more so for Chris, is that their ego is totally wrapped. It's very much like the, the, the adult leaving out their dreams to the kid. You know, their ego is wrapped up in they need to win. And and so yeah. I think that's where a lot of the you're supposed to be keeping your, your kid's best interest at heart. And maybe you think their kid's best interest is to win. But how much of that is also your desire to win and, and your desire to make your dojo look good? Right. And so, I mean, not everyone competes. There are styles that basically just are like competition. That's ridiculous. Like, why would we do that? There are, um, I, I think competitions are a little bit, to some extent, maybe more of a modern invention mm-hmm. and sort of a marketing thing and a, maybe a way of making money, but really kind of way of driving the business. Right. Um, tournaments can definitely function as sort of like proxy wars between dojos or senseis or like different schools mm, or their Okay, teachers. so that, that part of the story is pretty realistic. 
that's that's super real. That's a thing, you know. And um, but you know, I would say that competition should serve martial arts. Martial arts shouldn't serve competition. Yeah. Like, you know, having said that, okay, so the the style I studied is original traditional Taekwondo, which was, you know, created by General Choi in Korea when was it South Korea technically? He was a general in the army mm -hmm. and then he ultimately got exiled when when uh because when there was a military coup and he was like a higher ranking general so like well we can't have this higher ranking general here so he went around the world spreading this um particular style of taekwondo um which was the international taekwondo federation meanwhile some other masters created something called the world taekwondo federation which is <laughs> wow an, the initials are wtf which i think they finally <laughs> changed um <laughs> which uh yeah we we might have made fun of that a little bit but the the goal one of the goals of wtf was to spread taekwondo around the world and they were incredibly successful in yeah. that and the way they did that was they made it a sport they made it an olympic sport and they made taekwondo the national sport of korea yeah. and it was sort of a way of spreading you know korean culture around the world as well and um there you know there's definitely this rivalry between itf and wtf but within you know the, the world taekwondo federation it's basically sport taekwondo and so yeah. th there's a lot of people who have this look at it and that doesn't mean it can't also have the other thing right mm -hmm. but it was like martial arts as a sport specifically and um you know cobra kai seems like that's their purpose isn't the competition it seems like the competition is there for them right like to validate their like being a like their whole ethos is kind of like be a winner, right. right? Like in life. And so the competition, you win the competition to show you're a winner and like show that you're like an alpha and, and whatever. And it works in that because they're, they're the winners, now yeah. lots of people want to join them. And so you could see exactly. that. But I do think a lot of it, like, and it go. I mean, to tell, tell you the extreme it goes to, in the original movie, you know, Johnny wins second place out of like a big right. tournament. That's not bad. Yeah. It's not bad. His, his sensei, Kreese, breaks the second place trophy in front of him. Right. While, yeah. you know, like second place is worthless. Almost kills him. You have to yeah. be a, a winner. Um, right. Yeah. So I, th I think that's another way the show is making some interesting commentary about, you know, how does that sports culture take over? And how does this idea of the competition, mm -hmm. the winning, and how does it get in the way of the idea of what, what's the life lessons or, or physical lessons you're learning? Um, right. I want to uh, – there's so much in this we could go in, but there's a lot of different parts of this we want to talk about. Yeah. Because there's also another issue that the show – it never really like lampshades, so I don't know how intentionally it's bringing it up. But it, it returns to it enough that I think it's intentional. And it's the difference between physical violence versus social and emotional and verbal violence. And yeah. what I mean by that is like you know, growing up, like I said, I always had a sense of like you know, sticks and stones may break my bones. Words can never hurt me. You can say as right. many terrible things to me as you want, that never justifies me throwing a punch. Um, mm -hmm. Today, I think we have a much more nuanced understanding of the incredible psychological and social and, and emotional damage that bullying, and, and I, here I mean bullying where it's never throwing a punch. It's, you know, yeah. cyberbullying and, like, you know, getting all the kids in the lunchroom to call someone names and stuff like that. Like, yeah. like mean girls bullying as opposed to, like, Cobra Kai bullying. Yeah, and I think that, um, I think mean girl I don't, I don't think you're doing uh, this. I think that this, that this is in the culture. I think there's a very gendered yeah. perception of that, like boys bully right. with their and fists. It, yeah, it's obviously not all. Yeah. yeah. But I think one of the things that the, the, show, the show really looks into is 
is physical is physical violence an appropriate response to social bullying? Um, you know, and, and at some level it's the like, can you not that I think a bully is a Nazi, but it's like, can you punch a Nazi? Um, right. Right. I'm very much of the idea that like standing up and saying some people deserve to die is an act of violence. And so punching that person is the equivalent of the social violence. Um, mm-hmm. Now draw that to a much smaller extent to high school and, and bullying there, you know, there, there's a scene in which a character who is um, never throws a punch, uh, a, a girl named Tiffany. Um, I, I don't think that's her name. Oh no. What it's something like that. I always want to call her Veronica, and I know that's not her name. It's Yasmin. Yasmin, thank you. Um, It's something that sounds very much like white... white, No, no, I know, I know. Yeah. Um, uh, Excuse me. The show does some great things with, like, rich white uh, California culture. Um, But, yeah, but so this character, she never throws a punch. She never is physically intimidating in any way, but she's very much a queen of the school, and she has the power to just wreck people... Um, you know, people, um, you know, she starts teasing someone and gives them a nickname. Other people use it. She does, um, when one girl is, um, there's a rumor about her having been sexual. Um, Yasmin goes deeply into the slut shaming and starts posting Instagram things about her, you know, doing the sexual things, a whole bunch of slut shaming. And I think, I think we're clearly supposed to think like this girl is doing far more damage than a punch to the head would do. Um, and then in response, at one point, one of the other characters is physically violent towards her. Um, now, In a very particular yeah, way. Yeah, I mean, she basically gives her a front wedgie uh, in a very painful way that I think um, we can get into a lot of ways about, like, the specific kind of attack she does um, that, that, as two guys, I'm not even sure that we're the best to comment on. But, but even just putting that aside, what's your take on just... Because those two are one example, but there's also a couple of others. There's... um. The friends, Eli and Dimitri. Eli's the one who becomes Hawk. Yeah. Um, yeah. Those two were best friends, and, and Hawk winds up now becoming very much a bully to Eli. And late in the second season, Eli, like, is most effective not by fighting back physically, though he does do that later, but by really kind of ripping into Eli in front of a party and, like, telling everyone these embarrassing secrets from Eli's past and stuff like that. Um, and so I just feel like there's this constant tension between, like, physical bullying versus emotional and social and, and psychological. What What's your kind of take on that in terms of like whether physical is an appropriate response or not? Right. So first in the, I think it was in the first season that it happened. I'm, I'm not sure. Maybe it was the second, but uh, where um, Yasmin and Aisha were, you know, the one character is socially bullying the other and then the other responds physically right. at one point. Right. And then in the late in the second season or late in the second season, one character is physically bullying the other. And then the other is like, I'm going to use social bullying in order to, to bring you down. Right. Right. And I, I think that's kind of a, an interesting sort of uh, parallel flip the script, whatever. Uh, in terms of using physical violence against uh, verbal, emotional, social violence or bullying. Right. Right. Um, I, I'm I'm definitely torn, right? Yeah. I to to begin with, I would say I am never going to use physical violence in response to any kind of social or verbal attack on me. Right. Right. That's that's just not a thing I'm going to do. I feel like um I I, I never got bullied that much, right? I mean there were there were points in my life where there were things like that and um 
you know, I'd say they were hurtful, but I was in a position, I had, you know, a certain sense of self. I really was fortunate to have parents and a, and sort of a social setting where I wasn't vulnerable to that in the way that a lot of people are. Right. And so I think on my own behalf, it would be completely uncalled for. And like, you know, sometimes it is like somebody says something mean and then you just kind of, there are social ways, there are social tools of turning that around. And depending on your setting, depending on your social skills, you know, where, what you've been through, I think that is the ideal way of of responding. Mm. And I think if you're capable of responding in that way successfully, I think that's the thing that you should do. Yeah. I think that's just markedly a better approach. Um, instead of escalating things, it can de-escalate things. It can diffuse things. I think sometimes that's that's a way to go. Um, you know, somebody is doing something, they're making a joke at you. There are ways that you can respond verbally that kind of, you're sort of making fun of yourself, but not really, like you're owning right. it. And maybe you're kind of backhandedly making fun of them too. And But like, I'm going to say, I I don't, not everybody can necessarily do that, right? And I know that my experience is not reflective of everybody else's experience. There's a lot of so, social power that gets tied into class and, and privilege and things like that that goes into that kind of thing as well. Yeah, there's there's all sorts of things, right, that can be that can be going on there. And I, I don't want to say, okay, because I feel like this is an inappropriate response for me, it is therefore an inappropriate response for anybody else. I, I also think, you know, there are points at which verbal and social bullying can, in, you know, endanger someone's physical safety, right? Mm-hmm. Where, where they're basically bullying them into engaging in self-harm. And, and you know, that could be physically harmful. It could be deeply emotionally harmful. And, it, you know, it can ultimately people die. Yeah. And, and actually, that's my – I admit I come to this story with a very strong bias because I – this is long before you and I met each other. Um, yeah. But I, I'm a person, you know, I've had – uh, I've been in therapy for a while for a lot of things and, and the, the bullying I went through in school is not the only part of it but certainly was a big part of it and uh, when I was 13 I did try to uh, harm myself quite badly uh, in an attempt to not just self-harm but to, to end my life um, because of the bullying that I was going through at the time um, and so I come to it with a very strong bias in that regard but I, I even but even just as I speak I know I can hear the bias that, that I also have because I as I was saying you know like the social bullying does so much worse than the punch to the head. I think if it's just a punch to the head, that's true. But if you're also living under the con- like, because what actually what Hawk does, it's not that he just punches someone; it's that he makes them live in fear every day of being punched. Yes. And I think that yes. that psychological fear can now be just as torturing as the emotional. Um, For sure. Yeah. The, the physical bullying, the goal of physical bullying is is emotional. Right. Right. In, in many yeah, ways. It, it's to scare them into, you know, to, to get them to obey through, you know, to get them to comply through the fear of, of more harm. Um, yeah, exactly. And yeah, I, I, and sometimes to embarrass. And yeah, and, I, I, and also, I just want to just just a brief thing, like a punch to the head can kill someone. Yeah. You know, like when it when it comes to these kind of bullying, physical violence, a lot of the times we see it as kind of comic book violence. But like it can have really real and, and long term um, consequences. And I think that's probably also a big part of, of your feelings on it is I know that the, the, the physics of humanity are such that under the absolute perfect conditions, if I threw the absolute perfect punch that just lined up that way, I could kill a person. I really, really, I'm right. never going to try and do that. 
you're yeah. much better trained at how to throw a punch. And so I think you have a good reason to feel like but I, I feel like I have a sense of like I'm not that worried about you know, that if I punch someone, I'm not thinking I could really do true damage. Because I think I'm right. really bad at punching. Right, right. But right. someone like, you know, if you have really trained in punching, yeah, I think then there's a higher responsibility to understand like my punches are gonna be a lot more effective. I have to be a lot more careful about this. Um, absolutely. I mean, it's there's a point at which it's it's assault with a deadly weapon because you have a certain level of skill. Right. Like it's it's there is a higher responsibility the the more effectively you can do it. Yeah, and and I think that that's part of, that's I think one of the things the show doesn't get into is that that sense of you know, um, when where does that come in? Because I'm right. It's funny. I'm I'm still really torn about this because there's a part of me that does feel like punching a bully is an appropriate thing to do. Um, mm-hmm. But like, I, but well, I mean, not appropriate, but like an understandable, justifiable. Like, I'm not going to get you in trouble for doing that. I think right. though, I mean, a lot of this show is adults teaching kids that they should punch bullies, um, right? And that's also where I'm cut. Kind of, like, I mean, let me ask you if um, if someone came to your to your school when you were running a, a taekwondo school and said, "I'm getting bullied a lot. The kids always call me names. They always do these terrible things to me." I want to learn Taekwondo so I can make them stop. Um, what would be your feeling? What, what, what would be, it would have been your response in that moment? Um, I mean, I don't know exactly what my response would have been in the moment, but I would, I would try to definitely have conversations with them and, and like plural, because it's not, it's not the sort of thing where you're going to teach someone in a minute. Right. right? Like, um, you know, I would try to explain that, you know, the, the idea is to develop the ability to defend oneself and you know the the idea is also to sort of develop some of the esteem some of the right. um confidence where the the bullying just doesn't happen mm-hmm. the same way yeah. you know it's it's like i bullies seek out there, victims right exactly there was this one time when I, I, my mom and i were crossing the 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 street when I was a young adult, we were, we were having lunch and this guy in this like red sports car, like does this ridiculous turn. Right. Mm -hmm. Like, and like basically like almost runs us over. And, you know, I tend to not really say much in that situation like that, but my mom starts like cursing at him (laughs) and like, she'll, she's not going to not like yell at someone when they do something um, out of line. And the guy like gets out of his sports car, you know, he's got this like red convertible sports car with he's like, you know, his bald head and like, like shaved, you know? And he's like, Oh, blah, blah, blah. And he starts like, and I just like sort of like take a step forward. Not like it was just like reflexive. And then he just kind of stopped Mm. and he like turned around. He's like, yeah, whatever. And it's like that I, I, I had multiple experiences like that where, you know, somebody sort of want, like he wanted to be a bully, right? I don't think he was actually going to like hit my mom yeah. or something, but like he wanted to yell back at her and he wanted to kind of be like, whatever, it's my street, blah, 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 kind of thing, you know, right. um, like the way he was driving was very kind of bullyish, like stereotypically. Um, but I think there are a lot of scenarios where somebody is inclined to be a bully but then when somebody just has like a posture of like not like sort of cowering, um, a lot of the times that person will just – that's not where they're going to do their bullying, right. right? They're going to do it somewhere else. Now, obviously, that's not always going to work that way, right. right? And so, you know, in terms of like what would I say to someone, I don't know. It's hard. Yeah. It's like, yeah, I, I don't think you should hit someone when you have – 
other options and uh but some people don't have other options and in you know in the moment it's like look if somebody's verbal social you know emotional bullying is driving you to think less of yourself driving you to want to harm yourself like i'm not going to give you a really hard time yeah about responding to that with physical violence but it to me it's it's the sort of thing where it's like um it's there's a lot of things where like i don't think like ethical or not ethical that's not really the way i i look at things for the most part it's like there's justifiable but it's more it's like is this understandable and what were the other options and can we try to come up with better solutions going forward yeah like you know, I, I'm not going to just, like, suspend the person if I'm running a school for hitting the bully and then just, like, let the bully off the hook. Like, the, you know, what was the school doing before before that point? Like, right. they were just doing nothing, even whatever was going on in the lunchroom. I mean, they kind of tried to do something, but it's, like, it's really a hard question. Mm-hmm. And I do think things like punching Nazis, it's, like, I can get on board with it. You know, is it the best response? I don't know. Yeah. It's we have the same thing in just right now with like the, you know, the the political unrest in the United States, right? right? Where there's demonstrations that are peaceful and then there's some violent protest and then there's some violence not connected at all with the protest and and some violence then you to get, stop the protest. Abs- absolutely. Absolutely. And um, it's it's a difficult situation it's a thing where I think anything but a nuanced understanding of it is going to fall very flat and re- and just really do harm. Yeah. And where there's there's a lot of things people can do that are understandable, but not necessarily like the best line to take. Mm-hmm. But like I'm not going to judge someone for not taking the best line when they're busy being oppressed. Yeah. You know, and, and we're like, um, I'm going, I'm going to hope that more people can take what I think is a better line, but that doesn't mean I'm going to judge the person who's, who's, you know. yeah. And I think for me, at least like what looks like a better line to my perspective may not always be the best, you know, may not look mm. like the best line to someone else's perspective. And I have to recognize sure. the flaw in my own perspective as well as to be like, like I said, I think, you know, yeah, five years ago, I would have said I'm very much like nonviolent protest. It's always the way, you know, Gandhi, King. Right. And I think really studying those things, I've, I've moved a lot towards thinking like that may not always be the best line. Um, and right. that's where I'm kind of applying it to this these situations on the much smaller level because um, I, 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 I think one of the things I thought was really interesting was that, that you made a comment about like, you know, can you get an authority figure of some kind or something like that? And I feel like, you know, or what you would do as the authority figure. Because I think what happens a lot of times is, you know, we have a theory that, you know, if someone's bullying someone else in school, the teacher should intervene and stop it. But clearly that always, and actually we see in the second season that part of what happened to Hawk was his parents very naively, like, tried to get that to happen in a way that just made him much more the victim. Right, it just exacerbated the situation. And I think that that's often one of the things that happens here is, and this is true, I think, for high schools and I think for, you know, protesting, you know, uh, racism and, and police violence is we can have a sense of, you know, that, that the, the people in charge are going to see who the bully is and, and do the right thing, you know, and that you shouldn't have to fight back. You shouldn't have to, you know, stop traffic and, and not go to, you know, and cause strikes and stuff like that. Right, right. 
but because there should, you know, you shouldn't have to punch the bully because the teacher should see it happening and stop it. But right. that a lot of these things come with. So what happens when we're not in the right world? You know what happens when mm-hmm. yeah. that that structure isn't there? Um, and, and I right. think I, I really find this helpful because I admit I'm I'm certainly unsure. You know, I am. There's a part of me that wants to say, yeah, punch the bully for teasing you. Um, and a part of me that goes, I don't think that I, I guess because it's. It's always that question of like how you know how much can you light that fire and then control it? And I think the the moment between Aisha and Yasmin is really interesting because as, as you brought up, Aisha does an act of physical violence to respond to the social torture she's going through, and it stops the torture and it it knocks Yasmin off her throne, and I think yeah. saves a lot of people. It also feels like the particular way she attacks her, like the front wedgie that is so devastating, yeah, you know, yeah. to, to, to that part of her body, you know, to her vagina is what she's attacking directly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, kind of sexual assault. Yeah, that feels very, that feels like, like, I, I think you and I both said, like, if she punched her in the head, I thought I'd be much more okay with it. But I also think that's part of the thing is that Aisha isn't in place of saying, well, I'm being bullied. And so here's the amount of physical violence that I feel like is appropriate. Right. Like, I'm yeah. going to dial this to an exactly a 5.8 of physical violence. Right, right. Now I've programmed right. it in. Let's throw the punch. She's mad. She's upset. She's being oppressed. Mm-hmm. She's having this major attack on her psyche happen, and she lashes out. And yeah. I don't blame her in the slightest. I think maybe I would say if Cobra Kai is specifically teaching her how that you can use phys- – I don't think they taught her that technique. Well, no, but I, <laughs> but I think what they said is strike fast, strike hard, no mercy. Yeah, right, right. I think that is a no mercy attack, you know? That's that's true. That's fair. And I think that, that, that there might be some element of, yeah, we're going to teach you physical response that you can sometimes use, but that you do have to temper it. You do have to, you know, not bring the gun to the knife fight. Um, right. But then is that a physical attack uh, like that? Is that a, a gun to a knife fight when the gu- – it's so confusing. That's what I love about the show is I feel like this, these are a series of questions that I'm going to be wrestling with for a long time. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's, there's, there's not, there aren't easy answers uh, or we'd have solved them already. Right. Basically, I think, you know, and the exact nature of the attack, like, uh, I mean, in the moment it was kind of like, yeah, oh wait, yeah. you know, <laughs> like to me, cause it's like, she's been bullied through all this time. And then she responds in a way that, I, you know, I think part of the nature of the attack was designed to be humiliating, right? right? Not just physically uncomfortable. Um, it, you probably, I don't think you're going to cause that much actual, like, damage. Like, compared to, like, if you punch someone's face, you could break their nose. Yeah. Like, you know. Um, but it's like, uh, like, just, like, in general, like, don't hit someone in the genitals yeah. unless they're, unless you're, like physically in danger i think that's generally like a good thing to go by but at the same time it's like yeah you know i get it it's not like i think she's a horrible person you know it's just a like maybe let's give a little thought to this and like you know was she thinking about that ahead of time you know like had she envisioned like sort of like fantasized like how am i gonna you know beat this yeah. person up basically you know and just like tell her to shut up at some point like i wouldn't be surprised you know she's punching the bag she's doing this or that like somewhere in her mind there's probably a lot of anger about getting bullied yeah. right and and that anger you know i mean we can use anger as fuel to to help us train harder right, right? but then like is the consequence of that that then when we um, actually are in a situation 
where we m might be inclined to use something. I mean, they're, they're, she's drunk, too, you know? Mm -hmm. And it's like, again, never an excuse for anything, but certainly something that is, is liable to... I mean, I don't know if she's drunk, but she's been drinking. Right. So it's certainly liable to lead someone to sometimes to kind of the worst end of their own behavior, which is why I think it's even more important to, like, constantly drill in, like, and, and really spend time thinking about, like, what should this be used for? Yeah. You know, what am I going to do in certain situations? Because when you've mentally prepared that, then we're, when you're in the moment, when you're maybe, um, you know, mentally compromised to some to some extent, you're, I think, less likely to, to do something, you know, on the worst end of the spectrum yeah. and more likely to behave in a way that you maybe later on would be like, yeah, I'm good with what I did there. And I think that's a very good way to say it. I think, and that's, Johnny, I think, doesn't know about that particular moment. But certainly I feel like that's a big part of what he comes to realize through the course of the show is that he's basically created – he has given these kids these weapons without training them – without teaching them any restraint, without teaching right, them – Right, without telling them yeah, – Yeah, how to know. Like, yes, you can solve a problem with your fists, but that does not mean to solve every problem with your fists. Right. Um, which I think is, is a really interesting thing. Um, th there's so much longer we could go on that, but there's, uh, there's a couple other questions that I want us to at least touch on briefly. Um one of those is this idea of um, how you make decisions when you don't have all the information. And there's an extent to which the show shows that happening as a thing that characters do because they're flawed people. And I think mm -hmm. that's important to talk about. There's also an extent to which the show does that again and again and again because there's bad writing. Um, and because yes. it, it just feels like such a trope to me of like you never give the person a chance to explain. You see something from across the room, you know, et cetera. But, but yeah. putting aside the bad writing side of it, what, what do you think the show is kind of saying with the – and this mostly happens, I think, with Danny and Johnny, um, especially because there's this whole side plot that is, that is really interesting of um, Johnny has a very strange relationship with his son. And his son, um, without Danny realizing it, uh, knowing how much his father hates Danny because they're all high school rivalry, especially at the start of the right. show – goes to basically work and then become a, a student of and then pseudo-adopted by Danny. So, and there's just so much miscommunication and stuff like that. What, what's your kind of take on the way the show uses that issue in terms of the, the character flaw? So I think a lot of the time they there are really contrived, kind of lazy writing, I want to say, or not just like, you know, we're going to, like, manufacture some sort of a conflict because that's the conflict we want. That's the showdown we want. Having said that, I think when your motto is strike first, strike hard, you know, no mercy, but like, especially like strike first, that's, that's kind of like almost the antithesis of like, look before you leave. Yeah. Right. And so when it comes to making decisions with imperfect information, which is like literally what I do for a living, <laughs> um, you know, playing poker, um, you know, you're never going to have perfect information or, I mean, you can very limited things, but like there's always things you're not going to know, right. right? You're not going to know every facet of everyone's viewpoint, everything that happened in the world. But what you can do is especially when you're going to make a decision that's going to have like consequence, you can gather information, right? And that's in, and that's even like, that's an important part of fighting is trying to understand what your opponent's trying to do as opposed to just being like, I'm just going to do this thing. And it's going to work because I'm badass. Right. You know, it's like, and, and the thing that's frustrating 
is that while Johnny seems to be kind of hardwired to just like go, 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 don't kind of wait for more information. That's like his style. That's what he was taught. Mm -hmm. I feel like Danny was taught something very different. Yeah. But Danny does it more, yet, doesn't he? Yeah, Danny, it's like there, the number of the times I felt like yelling at the screen, like, have you learned nothing, Daniel-san? Yeah. <laughs> Daniel-san. Um, like, you know, like, it's like you practice the the art, but, like, you don't practice the art. Like, he, it's like he doesn't, he doesn't have any of that in his way of life, of, you know, the balance, of the understanding, like, you know, the work and hobby balance, basically, as his dojo is basically his hobby or his passion, like balancing those things, balancing his relationship with other stuff in his life, like listening, understanding what's going on, and then acting. Right. And it's like, that's an important lesson that you, you can learn from martial arts, yeah. right? I mean, it could be a metaphor in a lot of ways. And, um, you know, he fails at that, like, hard, yeah. over and over. And some of that is the character and some of it's the right. Yeah. And I feel like that's the thing is it, the, I think the show use it and especially what happens is a time when Johnny is very clumsily trying to do the right thing. And it mm -hmm. looks a lot worse than it actually is, especially if you only yeah. see like one moment of it. And so Danny yeah. sees one moment of it goes right back to, Oh, still he's, he's still a villain, you know, all this kind of stuff. Right. Um, yeah. And I think you're right. I think, I think, you know, it's not like this show is the only one. I mean, it is a very, very common trope in, in TV and movies, and it drives me crazy because, like you said, I think it's just lazy writing. But I do think when they use it effectively, it, it's a very good sign of showing where, you know, Danny is really at fault because it is, I think, it's all about perception. And it's all about once you write this narrative for yourself of this person is a villain, I am a hero, this is the good way to do it, it's cognitive bias, like you mentioned. Like, you will find the smallest piece of information to justify your story. You'll ignore anything that seems to challenge your story and you will then not seek out anything that might challenge your story because you found evidence and so everything's okay. Right. And that's why it's so important to learn about cognitive biases as yeah, well. For sure. Um, which is why poker can be used as a metaphor for life. Yeah. Um, yeah I mean, and, and that's, that's really what it is, right? It's having a viewpoint and then you see some stuff that makes you maybe question your viewpoint, but then as soon as something confirms your viewpoint, it's just like snapping back to grid or something. I don't yeah. know. I've been doing some Photoshop, <laughs> but like, <laughs> yeah. And and yeah, and it's it's frustrating watching that. That you know the extent to which it's understandable is cool, but then when you add on some of that being really contrived, yeah. um, I found that to be the most frustrating uh, aspect of the show. I'd say. I think I'd agree with that. And like, like I said, we'll, we'll, we'll get, I have a point I want to make about that, but let me just go through one or two more of the questions and then we'll just kind mm -hmm. of talk about that. Although it, it's kind of an ethical, it was the question of like how you do story writing. Um, so maybe right. if you haven't yeah. seen the show, you'll still be interested. Um, we talked, there are a couple other things I want to talk about that I think let's skip about like fatherhood and parenting. Um, sure. Yeah. Uh, I think well, class is an issue that the show that? sort of raises, but doesn't really deal with in ways that I found satisfying oh second most frustrating yeah. yeah it lampshades that but then doesn't do much with of. it um but yeah. mercy was one more thing you wanted to talk about because it is a it's this thing of cobra kai starts with you know no mercy and right johnny goes through a couple evolutions where at first he says you know no mercy and then he says mercy but with honor and then he kind of says sometimes mercy and again spoilers for the very end and yes this is very contrived but but just to go with what the story is trying to say 
it sets up a situation in which the the head Cobra Kai student Miguel has mostly beaten his enemy, shows yeah. mercy, and then because he showed mercy, his his opponent um f- from the ty- from the Miguel uh, uh, Miyagi Do school, Miyagi-Do. who is Robbie, who happens to be Johnny's son, layers on layers and layers here, um attacks attacks him when he's his back is turned. And knocks him off a, a top of a staircase, and now it seems like he may be paralyzed or in major life injury. There's a whole bunch of melodrama added to that, but yeah. but and then and so to some of the students, this is a you know you betrayed us by teaching mercy. We ha- he showed mercy. He turned his back. He got injured, um, and clearly we're supposed to be seeing like that. Season three is all going to be about you know is Johnny wrong? Is Johnny right? How does he you know pull back these little monsters he's created? Um, what, what's your whole take on this mercy question? So, you know, I think it's pretty, pretty interesting. Um, I, I actually have a chapter in a book titled show no mercy, which, (laughs) (laughs) um, but it's, it's specifically talking about at the poker table. So, you know, I think that's, um, it's a little different than like in life. I definitely believe in, in mercy and life. Um, in in compassion and judgment, really, I'd say more than more than the word mercy. But um, you know, I, I had an experience where I was fighting in a tournament, and I was you know the guy was pretty good. I think I had like a fever too, so like I wasn't in my best shape. But I knock the guy down, his kneecap pops out of place. His teacher pops it back in, and he gets up and keeps fighting. Right. And my coach, who was a good friend, was like, "Oh, maybe kind of take it easy on him." I'm like, "Okay, yeah, I guess." So I kind of take it easy on him. And then he like grabs my arm and holds it down and like kicks me in the head. (laughs) And he ends up winning the fight, which, you know, was cheating, by the way. But like, whatever. Um, You know, so I feel like a lot of the lessons are actually encapsulated there where it's like, okay, it was a tournament. So like in terms of mercy, like maybe don't try to kill him. But like that's you shouldn't anyway. right? Right. It's like you can show mercy, but still have control. Right. Right. Like you can you can be like, I'm going to continue fighting this fight and, and making sure that I'm not going to lose it. And more importantly, more germane to, to the what happens in Cobra Kai, I'm going to continue to defend myself effectively. Right. right? I'm going to keep my eyes open for like, here's the thing. You're in a fight. Why are you in the fight? It's emotional. Right. It wasn't like, a, oh, I'm trying to take your land. You're trying to take my land, whatever. It's like they. I don't even really know why they were fighting. It was kind of dumb because I think they were both trying to break up the same fight, but whatever. Anyway, they're fighting. It's emotional. Tempers are flaring. The one guy basically defeats the other in the fight. And then he's like, okay, I'm not going to hit you while you're down. At that point, I think stepping back a substantial amount of space from the other person and remaining vigilant, I think, is the appropriate response, right. right? It's like you can show mercy and not just be like, oh, okay, we're good. Oh, what? Whoa. Yeah. You know, like. You can, deli- you can decide not to deliver the killing blow, but still also not be like, okay, I beat you down. I'm going to turn my back to you and, and trust you entirely. Exactly. And the number of times we see this in fiction where this happens, I mean, it's a very sort of million dollar baby moment. Um, like, is just it's like overwhelming where the person decides not to deliver like a killing blow or like a knockout blow or whatever and then then they get like caught off guard it's like don't get caught off guard like you're not 
done with the fight, you're saying like, basically like I, I offer you, you know, uh, like to surrender, like, yeah. you know, do you surrender basically, I think is, and you know, the problem is like Johnny didn't really teach that he kind of taught this vague stuff. And so, you know, he didn't really prepare Miguel for that situation. And so, you know, some of the students are like, oh, it's because he showed mercy. It's like, no, it's not because he showed mercy. It's because he let his guard down right. after showing mercy, right? Showing mercy is fine. It's good. It's like you don't have to knock someone out when they're down. Like, well, and I think that, but like still defend yourself. Yeah, and I think that, I think though that that is very much the point. And here, because what Cobra Kai taught is there's no such thing as ending the fight with your opponent still able to get back up, you know? Mm-hmm, and so mm-hmm. there's never a moment. There's never, it's never taught. How do you let the fight end, but be wary in case your your opponent wants to restart the fight? Because the idea is like yeah. if they can restart the fight, then the fight isn't over. And you know, I, right. think, I think I think it is somewhat contrived. I think, but it also makes sense that Miguel at least wouldn't know to do that because that wasn't taught, and that that's another part of that. Yeah. How do you teach the restraint of you know? The, and it's I think something we see in in these shows all the time. You know, what's the difference between the punch that knocks the person to the floor and then now when you have them on the floor and are punching them in the head because you're angry or you don't want them to ever get back up. Um, and in, in many right. ways it mirrors what I still think is maybe the best conversation in all of genre media or certainly in the top five. And that's the discussion between Punisher and Daredevil in Daredevil mm. season two on the rooftop where oh, yeah, Punisher's yeah. explaining why his, his whole idea is, you know, if you leave your enemy breathing, they will always be your enemy. And they, I, I'm not... Right. quoting words or anything but it's that it's that yeah. tension and yeah yeah he it was basically you hit them and they get back up i hit them they don't get right up. yeah and i think that's a really interesting that that's kind of the, the the heart of this question is what's the difference between mercy and and trust you know how can you mm-hmm. end the fight with honor um and i think it's a question yeah. that i'm looking forward to season three really wrestling with and hoping they don't just keep yeah, using so. contrived ideas because it is a very nuanced question, and it's it's the same thing of, like, do you show mercy to your oppressor? Well, right, maybe, but maybe, you know, if you if, if you if you oppress the – if you show mercy to your oppressor, will your oppressor get back up and keep go right back to oppressing you, you know? Like, right. how do you right. how do you remove the possibility that they continue to be the terrible person? Um, right. Which – I'm waiting for you to quote Nelson Mandela. Yeah. So. What, what's a specific Nelson Mandela quote? No, about like after oh, yeah. apartheid ended, and you know the was it the sunshine policy or I know, no, it was uh, the truth and reconciliation committee. Yeah, which I, yeah, I yeah. think I think it is honestly in some degree. I think we're going to need that in the United States to some extent. But it, it was, it was <laughs> yeah. a very intentional way to say we don't want to have a situation where the blacks are now the victors over the whites in South Africa, and and we want to get to a point where we can all let go of the resentment and move forward. And I think. I think that's a statement that can only be made by the oppressed person. And so that's why I don't think I can ever advocate for, for sure. that. Um, but yeah, um, the one thing I was going to say, though, also about the idea of mercy is mm-hmm. I do think that there is a huge difference between the way season one and season two ends, by which I mean there's a huge difference between a tournament that has specific rules and specific ideas of what winning is and what fairness yeah. is and a street fight. Or in this part, not even a schoolyard fight, a school hallway fight. Right. Which, if it sounds ridiculous, yeah. yes, it's a terrible scene <laughs> for that reason. Um, but yeah, and I, I feel like that there's something about like, you know, the situation you talked about. Like, I'm not critiquing you at all, but I think I'm of a believer of 
you show mercy in part by not cheating and not breaking the rules. But if like right. the person says my knee hurts, but I'm, a, I'm able to keep fighting, then you keep fighting, you know, and you follow. The yeah. Rules. That was the point of my chapter. Yeah, yeah. exactly. And I think, <laughs> was, you yeah. know, in the same way, like I know I stopped playing. I'm not anywhere near the poker player. You are. I've never, I, I about lived about like half a year uh, or to a year playing mm-hmm. poker and I made enough money to live off of. But, um, I know one thing that would happen to me a lot was I would, especially if I played at the same casino for a while, I would see people who very clearly should not be playing poker, you know, where right. I felt like there was an yeah. addiction or like they were spending the rent money. And I felt genuinely bad about taking their money. And I think kind of my understanding of kind of your, your, your perspective is, you know, when they're at the poker table, you can't show them that mercy, but you can also decide, do you want to sit down at the poker table with them? And that's yeah. where I think I would often be is like, I would, I don't want to get into a tournament where the rules are, that I might be harming someone like that. Um, but yeah, once you're in the tournament, you follow the rules and that's not a question of mercy. Um, but that the fight between the two of them is very different because there are no rules and there's no adults or parents. And I mean, this, the, the lack of parents is worse than in Charlie Brown. Like there's just no oversight. Right, whatsoever. right, right, right. Yeah. They're just nowhere. There's yeah. at least, they're nowhere until it's convenient for them to be. Yeah. There, there's also but, a long fight in yeah. a mall where I'm like, just, no, there's right. no way this would last this long. Yeah. 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 Um, uh, go ahead. Um, yeah. So, uh, first of all, I, I did want to say that I, um, you know, you said as be, you know, the oppressor or whatever, um, that you can't advocate for that. I, I definitely advocate for that. I, I'm not sure if we actually disagree mm-hmm. or it's just kind of the way you said it, but like, yeah, I a hundred percent advocate for when someone or some group is oppressed and then they gain a position of equality once at least once that position of equality has legitimately been gained like yeah i i i do judge like vengeance oh, and I... I don't want to see it and i want to advocate against it i don't think that's exactly what you were no no and, and thank you let me clarify my point i <clears throat> that i i'm with you very much i'm very much with you i don't want to say that what i'm saying is a big part of what nelson mandela did in south africa and i say this is someone who's like read a couple of books on it i'm by no means right, an right. expert but my yeah. understanding is, by someone who's, who has looked into it a good deal, is that a big part of what he was doing was asking black people to forgive white people. And that there wasn't oh, – okay. pun- oh, that a big part of the direction he went is that there wasn't punishment. That he really wanted it to be about how do we reconcile and move forward. And that and that's right, the part where right. I'm saying, like, I can't ask that. You know, I'm not – Okay. But, yeah. But I think in a much larger point, yeah, I, I don't yeah. want to ever see a world where the oppressed people get to be the oppressors. Um, right. Because, I mean, that's just the shit that the world's been going through for millennia, yeah. right? Once, and it's, you know, for centuries it's one way, but before that it's maybe another, and it's like, it's just a shitty-ass cycle. I mean, I think we saw that a lot in, um, during the, this, this, um, this reference happened when I was a kid, so many of our listeners may not remember it, um, but, or some may know it far better than I did, again, you know, 30 years ago knowledge of something I, I didn't really fully understand even then. <laughs> But, you know, my memory of the breakup of the former Yugoslavia is that, mm-hmm. you know, one group would get a lot of power. Uh, I think the Serbs was the, the, the first one, and, and they probably had the most power and do really terrible things. And so it got to the point in our minds that, the, that anyone who stood against them, like, they were the good guys. We had to help them. And then the Croats, you know, were fighting the good fight against the Serbs, but then also did some terrible things to other groups, you know? And it becomes a, like, right. you know, that's a very clear, immediate example, but I think that there's always this level, yeah, like helping one side fight back there's always the danger that they're going to become just as oppressive and that yeah that's not what i'm advocating for at all okay okay um, i just wanted to clarify yeah. that a little bit 
Um, on the in in terms of the the mercy and you know the tournament situation, the poker situation. Yeah, I, I'm of the opinion, once you're sitting at the poker table with me, I'm going to try to take your money. Um, if we're friends, I might discourage you from sitting in certain games if I think they're bad. Yeah. Um, if if we're even if we're not friends or if, you know, I, I've had people, you know, talk to me about having gambling problems or whatever. And, you know, I recommend they, you know, they can self exclude or they can, you know, call the number or, you know, and when when I've seen people like that come back to play, you know, I've asked them about it and they're like, oh, well, you know, I figure some things out. I'm good. I'm like, OK. And they're like, but thanks for asking. And, you know, so I think there's things away from the game. And, and yes, you can choose whether to be in that right. game. Right. You can choose whether to compete in a particular tournament. Um, I think there's things that you do away from this very controlled and this controlled environment where people have consented to um participate right. right like at the poker table there's the rules you play by the rules and then once you're doing that then whatever is fair game um you know i'm not a fan of like trying to talk someone oh just stay another hour stay a couple more hours yeah. like you know particularly if they clearly like have have issues and they're just losing um in in the tournament you know i agree like the thing to do probably would have been to continue winning maybe not like i mean that obviously that would have been the thing right but like Maybe like not going for a whole bunch of headshots or like whatever. I don't know. But like being like, yeah, I'm just going to keep knocking you out of the ring and eventually you're going to lose. And that's and, fine. And, um, instead. And, and in the Cobra Kai tournament, in the tournament, in the show, at least, there is an added dimension. Because what happens basically is Miguel is fighting Robbie and, and mm-hmm. Robbie is somewhat injured. And so there's a question of like how much yeah. do you target the injury? But right. the injury was caused by Hawk, someone else on Miguel's team. As you said, making a completely illegal out of the fight kick. Yeah. And so now there's also yeah. this question of like my teammate weakened my opponent. Um, yeah. And I think one of my favorite moments that just kind of pulling it all back to where we started, when when this when the second season starts, Johnny is obviously very mad at his team for how they won. And right. I like the way he winds up finding, and I think this is one of the best moments of balance that that unfortunately he kind of loses going <laughs> on. But he finds a balance of how do you have that, you know, win at all costs, mostly win at all costs mentality, but also, um, you know, not do the, the, the dumb shit they did, which he basically says, like, winning means beating your opponent at their best. And so right. cheating or doing things so that your opponent's not his best, there's no there's no honor in that. There's no glory. Right. Um, yeah. And then we you and I did an episode for a while about, like, in a fight, is an honor kind of a dumb concept? <laughs> and, like, there's a whole thing about that as well. Um but that's the difference between a tournament right. and like in life and, you know, what kind of fight is it? Yeah. You know, is it a fight over whether someone lives or dies? Like then, yeah, I think honor's kind of bullshit in a situation like yeah. that. Right. Like, whereas it is a fight for like some sort of, I don't know, honor or something. Okay. Well, if you're fighting over honor, then maybe fight honorably. Yeah. But like, if there's con- like, and why they're fighting in the show, they're just fighting because they're fighting at that point. Yeah. Yeah, I I do want to say one thing about how that fight ends that I found really um, annoying. Mm -hmm. And I guess maybe this transitions us into the final 20 minutes, although I'm not sure we're going to go on for 20 minutes or anything about it, unless our goal is to make the podcast as long as the show (laughs) has been itself. This has been quite a long discussion. (laughs) Um, But, yeah, is, is that... The, you know, Miguel gets injured 
not by a karate technique. He gets injured by falling off of the staircase. Right. And um, Sam gets injured not by a karate technique. She gets injured by a weapon. Right. And some people have some black eyes and some bumps and bruises. But I really kind of... I don't like how at the end of the show it feels like there's this sort of like this is why karate's bad because people become violent or stuff like this happens um that's sort of what um miguel's mother says mrs larusso says oh both of them yeah um you know they kind of are like this is karate's fault basically yet the show at the same time is like unwilling to show that you can actually get seriously injured from karate. And I mean, the number of times I went to the emergency room with a student, (laughs) like from doing Taekwondo is, uh, I think like, okay, maybe I can count it on one hand, but um, you know, a lot of, and I guess one of those technically was someone falling into a window, not um, anyway, but like people get hurt. People get hurt kicking and punching each other. It happens. And in a controlled environment, it's like, that's okay. You can have some physical in- injuries and like you'll, your body heals. Sometimes it never heals quite the same way. This happens in sports as well, yeah. right? Besides non-martial arts. Um, and it's like, you know, some of that's just you're doing physical things. You're going to have physical injuries. But, you know, s- some of these are inflicted by the other person. And and so there's there's physical consequence beyond like a bump or a bruise, like the difference between being hurt and being injured, basically. Um, and the fact that they, I, I feel like it's kind of a cop out that like they were basically treating karate like this comic book violence yeah. through the first two, you know, nineteen and a half episodes, and then all of a sudden it's like, well, it's still going to be comic book violence, but like accident accidents can happen or there can be deliberate harm inflicted by weapons but like acting like yeah like you can't like gouge someone's eye out or like you know break someone's bone it's like yeah people get really injured actually from you know i I think that's a very interesting point and i i do think that there's i do think that there's more of a connection between the violence that they do and the injuries that happen because i think like you know let's say i decide that i'm going to shove my um you know the bully who's like really getting in my face i'm just going to shove him and push him back a few feet Mm -hmm, um mm -hmm. i think that if i do that when we're both in a hallway that's not the worst thing in the world if i do that when we're both at the top of a flight of stairs and as a result he falls down the flight of stairs i've done the exact same action to him but i do think it's on me to be to be aware of my physical surroundings and to be able to think what's the result of what could happen there um, and sure. I think that 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 there is an element to which um, part of the point is that, like, you know, maybe doing that roundhouse kick again, or whatever the thing that Robbie does against an opponent who's not looking for it while he's right next to a banister that you could very likely knock him over. That, yeah, you can say that Ro- that that the problem there is that Robbie was so fired up that he didn't realize this was a safe. This wasn't a safe place to kick him. Mm-hmm. And I think and I think. There is something to be said for that, but I think what you're kind of saying is that it's the same problem we talk about with Daredevil and so many other things. This idea that there is a 100% safe time to kick and a time when it's not, it's kind of irresponsible and incorrect for them to be saying that because the thing is you could have, in a no-holds-barred, I-hate-you-I-want-to-beat-you-up way, 
you can still do terrible damage even if you're not at the top of a flight of stairs. Is that kind of a good way to say where you're coming from? Yeah. Yeah, that's correct. I mean, I've had my ribs, ribs kit broken during or cracked during like just drills wearing a chest guard, yeah. you know, and I've, I've cracked someone else's ribs doing the same. Yeah. Like it, it, that happens, you know, and that's wearing gear. I, and so we're not wearing gear. Like worse can happen. Obviously. I have a weird bend in one of my fingers that is, you know, it doesn't dramatically oh, affect anything, but it makes my guitar playing a little bit harder because of something that happened when I played rugby in college. Right. Right. Exactly. And, and so kind of sort of um, like, you know, the, the idea, I, your, your point's extremely good that when someone, you know, what you do really is, um, it, it, it matters not just what you do, but when you do it, where you do mm -hmm. it, right? Especially when it comes to something like pushing. I mean, I, in the, the parking lot near, near the casino here, somebody died getting pushed over and they fell and they hit their head. Yeah. And that's why, like, the punch that knocks someone down, it's like... Yeah, the punch might not be the issue. Them falling down and hitting their head. Yeah. I mean, headgear, by the way, the main, the, like my teacher used to like to say, like, the reason you have the headgear is not so when you get kicked in the head, it protects your head. Mm. It's so when you get knocked on your ass and you hit your head on the ground, mm. you don't you don't crack your skull open yeah, on the ground. Yeah, makes sense. Because like the ground and gravity, that's going to do way more than to you than usually, um, you know, any kind of uh, a limb. Right is going to do when it hits you right so uh so yeah i mean you know knowing whether to 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 use that at a particular time and like what's what's more or less safe is you know that matters and so it is kind of the fault i mean it's obviously it's because they were fighting right, right? it's not like um but you know i i feel like they both sort of like indict karate and then also let it off the hook at the same time yeah, yeah you're right it's kind of an interesting thing of saying like it, it because I think, I mean, there's an extent to which people are not going to go see a movie about a fun competition where someone could have died if it didn't go wrong. Like, people mm -hmm. don't want to think in those terms. We don't want to think like, right. oh, yeah, we're watching football and there's this constant possibility that someone could die. Um, right. And even though that's true, like same with boxing and, and yes. um, mm -hmm. all the fighting and stuff like that. Um, yeah. But I think, I think it does speak to an element of yeah, that if you're teaching people to use a deadly weapon, you should be teaching them restraint, you know, and you should be teaching yes. them like, and even I, I realized like what I was saying before is, is because of my not learning this, you know, that I was saying like, just punch the person in the head. That's never going to be as damaging as psychological right, torture. Right. Well, maybe, right. or maybe you hit them just right and cause major concussions or blood loss that yeah. causes death, you know? Um, yeah. 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 I mean, the, I know someone got... They got punched in the chest by someone who wasn't even that big, and then and then they had a heart attack and died. Yeah. You know, like this happens. So you know, physical violence that we think of as being not that big a deal, well, it, it can actually be a pretty big deal, yeah. like fatal. Even when we think, you know, it, it's that's it seems like oh well, it's not that much. It's like well, I mean, we really have to be extremely careful about about our our use of force, yeah. and and that's why unless it's the type of bullying that's going to, you know, cause someone to do harm to themselves. That's basically, I'd say that's where I draw the line. Yeah. I'd say that's kind of where I want to put the line. Like, you know, actively Naziing, advocating for um, people to get killed. Right. Like, yeah, I think you can respond to that with physical violence because they're advocating for physical violence, yeah. right? They're saying we should kill all these people. And it's like, well, 
I'm going to punch you in the so, face. And I so if I'm fair. standing in front of, if I'm a 16 year old standing in front of another 16 year old and saying, you're such garbage, you should kill yourself. I can be punched. Yeah. That's like fair. I'm okay with yeah. that. I, that I, yeah. I, I, um, and it's not even necessarily just the, those exact words, but if that's, if it's that level of bullying, right. right it's like, okay, I, I can get on board with it. Whereas if it's like, you know, just like mean, but not like, I don't know, not, not like excessive and obviously it depends on who's getting bullied and you know um it's not like a. I think here i would actually push back a bit the same way you did with the physical because i think Mm -hmm. part of it is that we never know you know like in the same way that one punch to the head you know and i think the show actually shows this um you know eli hawk starts out with a this you know uh a a big scar on his lip and and johnny teases him in in a shitty way but it, I don't think right. Johnny feels like he's doing like he's telling the kid to kill himself right. because he doesn't realize that Eli has been teased about this all of his life and yeah. is on this kind of place where, yeah, any one teasing comment could be the thing that makes him, you know, do some terrible self-harm thing. Um, mm-hmm. So, yeah, it's I think it's a really good reminder that with both physical and social emotional violence, you know, uh, bullying. We can never really know the idea that we can do something and be like, yeah, it'll only have this. We can dial it up to like, we'll only do six hit points and they have 12 hit points. So it's fine. Like we just, right. we just never know that. Um, yeah. We, yeah. And, and so that's why I'd sort of say with the emotional, physical, I mean, the, you know, the, the social bullying, basically, I think it's kind of only the person who's being bullied can really yeah. speak to that. And that's why, like I say for me, I'm like, look, there's nothing you can say to me that's going to make me feel like. I should be justified in hitting yeah. you. Whereas you know? I, there might be things you could say that would make me feel like I want yeah. to. Whereas I but, think if I had punched a couple of bullies when I was 11 or 12, I might still have right. a leg right now. Um, you know, right. I, I, I lost my leg through self-harm at a much later time. But and yeah. again, that, that's my own personal stuff. But it's yeah, it's my I have that very different bias there. Um, we are also in danger of doing great chronological and schedule violence to our fans who have now listened to two hours <laughs> of this. So. Uh, we're going to stay on for a few more minutes to rant, but if you want to wrap up, um, uh, if you haven't really seen the show and don't really care about our deep thoughts on it specifically, thank you so much for this. Um, I hope you got a lot out of it. We, we went pretty deep on a show that is becoming very popular on Netflix, but it's still maybe, you know, not everyone has seen it. What'd you think? What's, are you a martial artist? What's your take on any of the different things we talked about in terms of violence and, and redemption and, and failure? Let us know. You can find us on... All of our social media can be found by uh, going to strandedpanda.com. We're part of the Stranded Panda Podcast Network. And on there, find the Superhero Ethics page. You'll find our Facebook, Twitter, email. It's all Superhero Ethics. Email is superheroethics at gmail.com. So thank you all for being listeners. Um, have a great day for taking out. But let's talk a little bit about the writing. Um, and just to, to go back to that thing we were talking about in terms of the, the miscommunication, um, because I think that's where to start, although there's a couple of other places. Um, yeah. I think why it bothers me is, is A, because I, I do feel like, yes, people don't say the right thing often enough. And, and so often, like, real problems happen because, you know, I get a little bit hurt. I, I'm a little hurt because I think you're mad at me. But I don't ask you, are you mad at me? And so you never know to say, I'm not mad at you. And so the, it's just tensions build. And that happens in yeah. real life. It does. It's like you said, it's the fact that it is so often used as a plot device. And it's so often, especially in the show, it's contrived. It's not, I decided not to talk to you. It's, I'm about to talk to you, but then your father walks in. Or the school bell. I mean, I think there's five different instances 
where a person's about to say something important and then doesn't get a chance to. It's just yeah, I, I definitely lost. It's count. such <laughs> bad writing. It is. It is. It's very frustrating. Um, it's like my my top two or three you know issues with the show. It's like just let people say things because there, there's just. There's legitimate misunderstandings, right? There's like, yeah, there's all these things where somebody wants to say something and they're like, all right, I got to go. Or, oh, the school bell yeah. rang or this or that or whatever it is. And it's like, I think a more robust way of of treating situations like that is like, look, these characters have actually different worldviews, yeah. right? They've had very different experiences. They have very different views of the world. They have very different and... memories of the same past incident. Exactly. And, and you know, this is true with, with Danny and, and Johnny, obviously, but it's also true with the kids. And it's like, just let them talk and they can kind of, there, there are going to be things you're going to be able to find for them to disagree mm-hmm. about, you know, like, and I, I think this is, this is one of the, one of the drawbacks, I think of like multi-season shows is when and it's also one of the challenges of like a redemption arc, right? Right, where you'll have a character who is sort of going in one direction, but there are reasons that they could kind of turn around and go go in a direction that maybe we'd think is is yeah. better, right? And if you're doing that in a movie, then you just—I mean, it still happens in movies, right? Where it's like somewhere around the middle, there's some stupid thing that happens, is like, ah. Uh, and like, but sometimes there's some reasonable thing that yeah. happens, and it and it makes sense. But it, it, you know, you've 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 got two hours or like an hour and a half to have them not like do the thing, and then they do the thing, and then you've only got like twenty minutes with everything being kind of good. And the the thing is, you end up with less conflict, right? Yeah. Once you resolve some of these things, so then you have to come up with new conflicts, and that's why like my suggestion was like, how about just like, you know. Johnny, like, does he and Danny do get along? And I mean, I think they would kind of get yeah. along, you know. And they and and there's that great scene. There's there's that in in episode nine where I remember when I was watching episode nine, um, you'd already finished the mm-hmm. series, right? But I was like, oh man, this is like this is so painful, or like this is gonna be just so uncomfortable. And it was, but then like the two, you know women they were with they were kind of like on this double date that wasn't supposed to be a double date it was like an accidental they get double seated date. at the same table which is a very contrived situation but it worked here right right exactly and it worked because they started to go down the like you know measuring the size of their dojos basically and then you know danny's wife which like i wish i remembered her name i feel like i learned it in season two and was like is that the first time they've used her name um <laughs> but you know she's like, oh, so you guys are going to do this? And, like, they kind of sort of briefly start in that way, but then then they actually manage to kind of... Um, they overcome that, right? And and they kind of bond over their, I don't know, their sort of patronizing uh, sense that the waitress isn't going to remember yeah. everything. And, like, so they kind of, like, bond over kind of being yeah. dicks, which is kind of great, <laughs> I think, you know? It's like... 
you know, it's like because sometimes like characters bond over like the good things yeah. <laughs> about them, but it's like for them to actually bond about something that's kind of like, eh. it's like they weren't wrong apparently. Yeah. Like the plot vindicated them, but at the same point, it's like, yeah, I mean, come on. Th- you know, it's they like, kind of bond. You know, it's like, oh, aren't you gonna write that down? Oh, you don't need to write on that a larger down? scale. Um, they kind of oh, bond shit. because they both still want to relive those high school glory days. You know, that everyone else exactly. is like, come on, those thirty years ago. And I, I think you're making a really good point. It's funny, um. Uh, we, I had a similar conversation about this uh, just a few hours ago when we recorded um, the first episode of The Boys, season two. Um, our review mm-hmm. of The Boys for... I haven't watched No Spoilers. No Spoilers for Panda Watch. But, you know, we, we got into this yeah. this topic of... And this is a thing, a thing that... And because this is just when we're talking about, like, what might happen before anything that actually happens in the show. Um, you know, when you have a show where one of the main storylines is a tension between two characters... You're right. Like, and, right. and most often this is romantic tension, but can be anything. You don't want to let go of that tension because you feel like that's what drives the show. But unless you're a purely episodic TV show, you have to make some progress. And I feel like mm-hmm. the shows that really suffer, and unfortunately this is too many, is what they do is they try to say, we're going to show you so much progress, and then we're going to have a way to reset the progress, to basically have something happen at the end yeah. that resets, everyone go back to zero, and then the next season, we're going to have the same progress and make the same mistakes all over again. And this is, I think, mm-hmm. a big problem I had with Umbrella Academy is it did that with all the character relationships. Yeah. What I think works is when you could do one of two things. Either A, you, as you were saying, you, you do change it. Um, one of my favorite TV shows is, is a show called Weeds, which it, it had two seasons of a really interesting premise of, you know, suburban mom pot dealer in a small town, you know, very, very much a comment on suburbia. And I think they eventually realized, like, they couldn't keep this up for much longer. So they burned down the town and moved 500 miles away and created a completely different show. And they probably... Wait, did they literally burn yeah, down the Yeah, literally, they, they wind up, like, in an attempt wow. to, like, okay. hide from the police. The whole town burns. It, yeah, part yeah. Of, I mean, it's a California, so there's sure. wild... It's, it's the wildfires oh, coming. Everything burns down all the time yeah. here anyway. My car's covered in ash. Yeah, basically a character, like, helps the wildfire along a little bit. It's horrible. Um, it's but, horrible. But, like, there's four different times where the show completely reinvents itself. Um, right. You don't have to be that drastic, but you can do something like that. Or you can do something which I think a lot of other shows do, which is you keep the tension, but there's a new reason. You know, so by the end of the first season, you've overcome one hurdle, but now you found a different hurdle. And now there's a different tension. You know, and sometimes it's... Right. Sometimes it feels very contrived, and so the first season is we think we hate each other, and by the end of the season we realize we love each other, but now now we love each other, but we can't be together for this reason. Or now we can be together, but by the end of the season we realize we shouldn't be together. You know, so at least there's a difference each time. Um, right. And I think that, that's, that was one of my biggest complaints about this season, about especially the second season of this show. I think the other one, though, is, and it's related to that, is this show starts out really trying to be about moral grayness and about what happens mm-hmm. when you try to look past the hero and the villain. Yeah, and Johnny even names yeah. that. He says, this is a lot more gray than, than just black and white. And he, he says, I've been teaching you too much black and white. That's my mistake. But I think the show also wanted to be a show about badass karate fights and that for badass right. karate fights, you need a good guy and a villain. And there's just... Mm. There were so many times where it felt like, it, on one hand, the show was trying to say, this isn't good guys and bad guys, this is so gray. But then mm-hmm. they would have, like, one character doing something with ominous music, 
and then the other character doing something with the most uplifting 80s montage, the good guy's going to win kind of right. thing. It was just like, pick. You can't have it both ways. Right. Um, so a couple things. Um, one, does Weeds feel like, if you rewatch it now, does it feel like watching The Untouchables where, like, Prohibition has ended and then... Oh, that's a good thought because Cal- cause Weed is so much... Yeah. No, I mean, I, feel, yeah. I, feel, I think it feels kind of like... Um, it feels really like because so much of what the show is about is about how ridiculous yeah. the war on drug, the war on marijuana was oh, because okay. everyone's smoking okay, yeah. it. So it feels like yeah, slash still is obviously yeah. even though it's it's such a yeah. Um, uh, two, I'd say um, you don't need a hero and a villain for a badass karate fight. I think yeah. I can understand how there's a feeling of that, right? Like, like that's in the sort of writer's lizard brains. Yeah. There's like a, well, we need someone to be good, someone to be bad, or we obviously need this like very real conflict. Um, I mean, that's the great thing about tournaments is you, you could just have them fight in a tournament yeah. and nobody needs to be the hero. Nobody needs to be the villain. It's like, everybody can just want to win. Uh, there's a movie called warriors with um, Tom Hardy, who I didn't even know it was fricking Tom Hardy um, that, you know, you, or maybe it's warrior, I think it's singular, mm-hmm. uh, which is interesting. But it's like at the, you know, there's points where it's just like, yeah, I'm very much rooting for both of these characters and they can't both win, you know. But it's, um, I, I, I think it really shows how you can write both sides as protagonists and still have them yeah. fighting. And you can even do that in situations where it's a fight in the real world, right? It's, it's just, it's like, it's hard where it's like you're trying to grow and it's like, well... If it's going to be a fight in the real world, if it's not going to be a tournament, then there has to be some sort of explosive conflict, right? There has to be some sort of emotional conflict that leads to physical violence. And it's a little, it's hard to find ways to make that really feel justifiable on both sides. Like, I think the character of Tori is the one where I felt this the most. Because Tori Mm, is, she's betrayed as sort of like the girl from the other side of the tracks who has had to fight very hard for everything. And they set up this very interesting conflict with her and Sam, since Sam is a real yeah. daughter of privilege. She's the daughter of Danny after exactly. he got rich. And yeah. But they, they really don't... And, and so the main tension and the thing that starts the fight in the end of the last episode in season two is this conflict between the two of them. And it starts with this really interesting montage of watching both Sam and Tori like, clearly be very upset, train for the fight with this awesome... like. The lyrics feel. I think the term "girl power" is often used about music somewhat uh, <laughs> condescendingly. I don't mean that, yeah. but the lyrics are very yeah, much yeah. like "you get it, girl, you're gonna win the fight." Like it's a very like right, right. on the nose kind <laughs> of music. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it really yeah, yeah. feels like they're saying like these two girls both think they're right, and we're not sure who. We're, we're, we want you to f- to root for both of them. Right. And then ten minutes into the issue, Tori very clearly is like, "Hi, I'm a 1980s villain. Um, right. I am." You kissed my boyfriend when you were drunk, even though, like, there's so much complexity to that story. But it's like, nope, yeah. I saw that, and I'm going to – she takes over the school announcement system and says, I'm right. going to go beat you up now. Yeah. I have no idea how she walks out of that principal's office without just being grabbed by security. But – I mean, maybe she beats them up too. Although they were, like, interviewing a new security guy Yeah, time, which is also right? so. hilarious and terrible. Um, but, yeah, yeah it, it – I really was disappointed with that because I think that could have been a great fight of we don't know who the right. right. And to some extent, Miguel and Johnny, uh, Miguel and Robbie does feel like that. You don't really know who you're rooting for because they're yeah. on some level. I think 
they're both wanting to go rescue Sam in the fight. They just don't know that's what they right. both want. And they also yeah. both want them to be the one to do it. So it's also just... It, this show has so much toxic masculinity in it and is somewhat yeah. a commentary on it, but I wish said so much more. But yeah, my point is that that's a fight that could have really been a great I don't know who to root for fight, and instead they just made uh-huh. it black hat and white hat. I agree. I agree. Um, I, I think the whole Tory character overall has a lot of potential that was very squandered um, at, at moments. And that, that, you know, that was a spot where it could have been, you know, she has a very different worldview and she's not wrong, you know, like in a lot of ways. But then there is just they're just going to it's just like, OK, she's just going to be the villain, basically, who's like so mad about that without even making any attempts yeah. to like get any of the story you know she's she doesn't talk to you know her boyfriend about it she doesn't talk to sam about it like she's just like i'm gonna beat you up with like a spiky bracelet yeah. or something like and and it, it just yeah i i that's it's the worst. And I think it's especially um, on because as I said, they kind of set up this this class question between the two of them. Yeah. And then it winds up being like, yeah, rich kids have control and poor kids don't. Um, which is really right. problematic at right. all sorts of other levels as well. Yeah. Yes. Um, and all th- yeah, yeah. And now and I mean Robbie, it's like Robbie was I guess what, now Robbie's not in this great um situation anymore. Like, you know, in terms of having having you know adults who are taking care of him and he's got all you know this stuff and whatever and all of a sudden now he's gonna kick someone off a staircase who's like showing him mercy it's like he he's got the most like goes from (laughs) zero to a hundred right like he starts off and he's just like a total dick right and then like um then danny's nice to him and like gives him stuff and then he's like a total saint yeah Right. And then he does one thing that's like legit bad with the metal. Right. But it feels like there's not really any consequence for that, which is a little weird. Like, that's the only spot where it's like, okay, you know, I thought that's a part of why Sam winds up kissing Miguel is because she feels like a break with with Robbie over that. And granted, she's very drunk, but in some ways she's like, (laughs) she does this weird thing that I can't imagine every person ever doing where she's like, in my head, we've kind of broken up, even though we haven't actually broken up. And so I'll kiss somebody else. Right. Yeah. What's that like that? Um, What's that like? I'm, I'm. I mean, I don't know. I'm referring to a dumb thing I did when I was 14. Um, but that's, um, but, but yeah, um, but yeah, I, I I do agree with you there that I think that, and it's actually funny. When I was halfway through season two, I commented on this to you and I said, "How is it that everyone else has moral grayness, but Robbie is just now a saint and he's perfect?" And then he just went right back to zero again. (laughs) Right, like he gets, you know, I mean, in fairness, like it that was like one moment the rest of that whole fight thing it seems like he's he's trying to break it yeah, up he's right? often trying he to break shows it up, up and he's trying and like it's just i don't know it's just so frustrating yeah. I, I have a lot of hopes for season three i'm definitely gonna start watching season three yeah yeah me too. but i mean they were i will rarely stop watching a show but there were a couple of moments where i was halfway through season i think it was at one point i was part way through yeah, season two and i was like two, I are we going to record on the show because if not, I might right. not keep watching. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. 
Yeah, you said you watched a particular episode, and you're like, I just want to stop watching yeah. this show. And, but it's like, but we were going to record. And yeah, and honestly, at the end of season two, I was like, I don't know if I even want to record yeah. about this anymore. But like, but at the same time, it's like, so so here's here's a little bit of how I feel mm-hmm. about that. I felt like season one had a lot of greatness, raised some questions, had some annoying contrivances, but, you know, the stakes were low. It was a 25-minute show, and I feel like that leaves more room for levity, and the drama's not going to be that heavy. Mm-hmm. And then season two, I felt like had a lot more of the contrivances, but then had higher stakes. And so kind of the higher the stakes are, the more annoying like contrivances are yeah, to me. I think that's true. You know, like in a sitcom, sitcoms are like almost all about contrivances yeah. a lot of the time, right? And like some of them I still find annoying, but like by and large, it's like whatever. There's no stakes for anybody most of the yeah. time. So it's like, if you're going to do something that's kind of dumb or whatever, just to set up a punchline, it's like, all right, you know, but like, if you're going to set, do something annoying to have someone like maybe break their neck, it's like, I'm not cool yeah. with that. Like there was a show I watched, uh, this Robin Hood, this BBC Robin Hood, which is a pretty good show to some extent, but like, they like kill off this one character and this just totally contrived bullshit, whatever. And I'm like, look, if you're going to kill a character Make it earned. that I care about exactly like you have to make it make some sense you can't have some bullshit lazy ass writing if you're going to kill off a character bullshit lazy ass writing is for setting up dumb jokes like that you know and and, and so i found it's either a for dumb jokes or it's b when you believe and you can make me believe that the character would be this bad at communication you know and like right but that 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 is not lazy right i mean to me but i think the thing is that sometimes you start out doing that I think right. – let me give you an example. Yeah, I like high school I shows. Right. I like shows about dumb high schoolers, and it can often be right. great TV and it can often be trash TV. And it's pretty hard for me to believe – it's pretty hard to get me to a point where I think a miscommunication among te- high schoolers, especially about romance, is a contrivance. Because are, – are, t- are teenagers not that good at expressing I, themselves it, to one another and understanding – Kind of wacky. Um, and and social media can make it much Weird. worse. Not those – you know, right. um, but I certainly, you know, a lot of my high school drama was because one person didn't say the thing mm-hmm. they should say. And like Gossip right. Girl, I've mentioned, it's trash TV, but I absolutely adore it. And for the first couple seasons, it's all miscommunications and mistakes. And some of it feels contrived, but a lot of it feels like, yeah, I'm frustrated at these dumb kids, but that's what dumb kids do. But then... In the, as the show goes on, they get older and they start having more serious consequences. And there's there's more like actual life and death situations or situations where right. someone could go to jail or where someone could have yeah. their financial ruin happening. And so yeah. in the same – there's same contrived miscommunications where no character works to fix it, it becomes a lot harder to watch and a lot less believable. Um, and I think yeah. that, that's where it feels yeah. like a contrivance and it feels like – you discovered that this is a good, like, you know, a uh, good club in your bag and you just won't learn to use a new one. And that, that to me is the definition of lazy writing. Right. Um, yeah. All you have is a hammer. So you hammer all the screws or. Yeah. Everything like looks like a nail so, to you. Yeah. You just put everything in a cement mixer and just <laughs> try to make it go around. Or you just feel like every problem, you know, everything that you're upset about in the world, if you just talk about it on your podcast, it'll all be okay. Right, exactly. Uh, with <laughs> solved, solved another with one. With that, um, I have a quick comment. I want to make a good class, but is there any last big things you want to kind of wrap up with? Oh, um, 
I did want to mention that I'm Zen Madman on Twitch. Oh yes, I, I uh, heard over that early <laughs> before. I'm sorry. We're 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 talking about lack of communication. Yeah. I feel like it's appropriate. Um, there was one thing that you said that I thought was really really good that I like had that you clipped and cut or whatever because um, that you said that um, you think the show is trying to do oh, two yeah, things. Oh yeah, I, I, I do. You mind if I read it? Yeah, I said this in the text no, conversation ahead, we're please. having. I said, <clears throat> I think the show is trying to do two things. A show that Danny and Sam are wrong to think Cobra is as bad as they think, and B, show that Cobra is in fact pretty bad. Yeah, and I feel like that's sort of like the heart of the show is like this... Um, I feel like they, they actually do a good job, especially in season one, of showing that, you know, certain sort of stereotypically viewed as kind of male traits like toughness mm-hmm. i think are are good that there's good to that right but that very often they are taught in ways that are toxic and that there can be negative consequences that they're they can be harmful when you're basically like there's a difference between teaching someone to be tough and you know persevere through challenge and you know overcome their struggles have courage there's a difference between that which they do some of and then teaching people you know be tough don't you know don't cry when you're actually upset don't express your emotions right right? like teaching people not to have those emotions rather than like true toughness isn't like burying your emotions down it's confronting your emotions and then basically dealing with them i think and and physically you know dealing with whatever like if you're physically weak you're physically weak right that's okay you can build strength right or you can't and that's also okay but like you know the idea that like by building strength you'll just like be a better person is that's where it becomes problematic that's where there are issues but it's like that doesn't mean that building strength can't actually be this very positive thing and I think that's a really good point. I think it also highlights, again, why, honestly, the character of Johnny, and I think the actor who played Johnny, I think in some ways it's just a stroke of incredible luck because mm. I don't imagine that the actor who played Johnny at 16 was hired because he was this great emotional character actor. And he probably wasn't. The right. actor was probably 19 or whatever. But the, he's definitely grown into one, and he does a phenomenal job of acting in this show. And I think one of the biggest challenges that the actor really wrestles with and the character wrestles with is how do you how do you do exactly that what you're talking about? How do you start to allow yourself to feel vulnerable when you've taught all your life that that's for pussies, you know? And I, I'm, I'm quoting right. the show. I'm not trying to use a term I would use. Yeah. No, I understand you're using his language. He's been taught all of his life, you know, show no mercy, show no weakness. People take advantage of weakness. And a big part of what he's wrestling with is the fact that he had two paternal figures, his stepfather and his sensei, who, when he was 16 and emotionally vulnerable, really took advantage of him and taught him, you know, abused him emotionally and did some terrible things. But the fact is that for him to admit that means admitting that he was weak at 16. It means admitting that he could be abused like that in ways that are just so outside his consequence. are so outside yeah. his way of thinking. And so it's really about him coming to terms with that. And and for that reason, he doesn't ball. He doesn't like 
break down, but there's a moment where he is at Miguel's hospital. He's standing outside Miguel's hospital room, but it is seeing what has happened to Miguel, this broken boy who he takes a lot of like paternal responsibility for listening to this voicemail of Miguel saying, you know, Hey, I'm having girl trouble. Could you and I go get a burger? You know, it's Miguel is reaching out to him exactly in the way that he always wishes his son would, but he knows his son doesn't Mm -hmm. because he fucked up. And now he's feeling like, and, and he starts to cry and it's not like sobbing tears, but it's definitely like you see him like getting choked up. And I just thought that was, that was such a perfect moment for that character. Cause it is all about that moment of like, can you be strong enough to accept weakness, to show your own weakness? Um, Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that's, you know, I'd say that's what the show does. Well, I think it was very true. Um, More than anything else. Yeah. I was going to say a last thing about class, which I think we already talked about, but just that the show just does not, um, I wish it had a lot more nuance there. Cause I think that's an interesting dynamic, but that it doesn't, it, 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 it plays too much into the stereotype there. Um, especially with like Robbie being the poor kid, but he becomes good when he becomes rich, you know, or becomes adopted by rich people. Right. Um, yeah. And like, I thought it was going to go the opposite way, yeah. you know? And I'm like, Oh, yeah. okay. Um, but yeah, so I think, uh, if you're sticking around this long, hopefully you're probably someone who's already seen the show. If not, I, I do think it's a good show worth watching, especially the first season. I think the second season has some real weakness and, and I'll be curious to see where the third season goes. Um, but as we said before, um, Lots of great stuff we discussed. I, wow, that sounds really arrogant. I hope you, there's lots of great questions we discussed. I have no idea if we did a good job discussing them, but would love to hear your thoughts. Um, so please find us on social media. Definitely check out Paul. Um, tell us again where. Uh, what, what, eh. Tell us again what you're doing on Twitch. Oh, um, I'm streaming stuff like uh, the poker and chess and Duolingo and whatever else. Maybe some Tetris little 80s throwback there <laughs> and uh maybe eventually some martial arts classes we'll see although that's that's gonna take some some work uh-huh. to grind back um yeah i hear that i hear that yeah i i did have a few moments of the show being like hey maybe i should do martial art no no never mind that's not my thing <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's anyway paul thank you so much we talked about keeping this to about a one hour conversation and we're now two and a half hours yeah. in but yeah you you said you're not sure whether we discussed it well but we we definitely discussed the <laughs> yeah, shit out of it so <laughs> you know uh whether this is a, a show full of sound and fury signifying nothing i'm not sure but we we certainly covered a lot so thank you all for listening uh if you've stayed through the bitter end um thank you paul for being a part of this and have a good day they should get a fucking participation trophy for <laughs> yes. listening to the whole yes. thing. Yes, every fan who made it this far gets a participation trophy. <laughs> <laughs>